the Monodies, Late Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And I wasn't built to be a prisoner, so I would have my crew bail out, I'd find the sweetest military target I could, and drive my plane right smack into the middle of it and kill as many of those bastards as I possibly could. <laughs> For the... When I, I, I think I've mentioned this before. When I watch these movies and I, and oh I take God. notes on them, like I will... I have a specific section in like my notes that I will put the quotes that I, I or the people the quotes that I want to be and the quotes always have to start with I because it's like and I and then something else and in this movie for the longest time like right at the start of the movie I was like I got it that's the quote and it was I will bust you open you dirty German which is what the little kid says to William Fickner at the beginning of the movie and nothing else came close the whole movie I have no other like notes in that section and then Alec Baldwin gives that speech and I'm like oh hell yeah <laughs> that because I, I, what Rob four months later that line becomes highly highly problematic oh yes and i guess we should say as our audience was expecting isn't it just perfectly fitting that we are discussing a movie about an american tragedy in our series about movies that led up to an american tragedy (laughs) beautiful beautiful oh we are showing people the harbor Oh, man. So, I mean, uh, yes, we are discussing Pearl Harbor. There's going to be a lot to say with this one with the movie uh, because uh, just by definition, because there is a lot going – this movie is a long movie. Um, we we are finally getting to a Michael Bay film. That's going to have to be discussed. Uh, we're talking about Ben Affleck. Zach, do you know when Ben Affleck's birthday is? Of course you do. It's Ben Affleck's birthday. Uh, there's so many people in this movie we're going to talk about, and I think, as it's been talked up by Zach to me for a while, I think off mic, and maybe on a few recordings, this is your favorite movie of all time, right, Zach? <laughs> it is. It is. This is the film. This is this is the beginning and the end of cinema, folks. It's I mean, all in one. You like your Star Wars, as we know. You have your uh, your all your Star Wars ships hanging uh, above you in your room where you record, but I think everybody should know that also hanging off of your ceiling with the Star Wars ships is a model of the USS Arizona. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> and then no, Rob. When the it's Star Wars ship... USS Oklahoma. Okay, okay. I knew it had to be one of them. And I love the fact that Zach gets so excited because when his Star Wars ships fall on him, he's like, oh, damn, I got to put this back up again. When one of the Pearl Harbor ships falls on him, he gets to recreate <laughs> scenes from Pearl Harbor in his room. It's great. I know. Zach, Zach is going to be so pumped for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh god folks it's finally happening it is after happening. months years <laughs> ever since the tradition of ben affleck's birthday started this was like always like the go-to and i've been holding rob back the entire time being like no the fort year the fort year and Rob always like to think that so like monkey bone was the one i was holding him back on <laughs> then, 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 no this like if there ever is the pinnacle of like ben affleck being ben affleck it's this movie. Oh my! Like this God. is him, his most just dumb meathead. Like I like the movie at the onslaught alludes to him being retarded, and then later in the film, there's like it, it doubles down on it is when he's an adult that he's mentally deficient. Yes, I I mean like I I just like I couldn't get over that. I'm, I I I've watched okay. 
a li- there's not a lot of context to this, but a little bit of context is like I have my movie stuff for Pearl Harbor. Oh God. right in front of me. Did I you do, fall Rob. asleep in the theater for this three no, hour I movie? Want, no, I wanted to see this. Remember, this was 2001, man. I was hyped for movies. Like this is probably the most hype I've ever been for like for movies in a summer, probably since like 2010. Considering that was another like one of those big movie summers. Like saw this June 8th, 2001 with my father. I I mean like I was excited for this. I don't have a lot of context for it. All I know is like my father obviously wanted to see it because it was a World War II film. It was sure. big, it was bombastic. Um I don't remember him having that much of a problem with this. Obviously he know he knew they embellished it, but for the most part he kind of just accepted it for what it was. Okay. And and pretty much I only ever like I had this like video I had this on video on VHS tape. And I had never seen this movie before outside of my VHS tapes. A few years ago, I bought it as a used movie from a, a local place where I live. And like the disc like stopped working like, I don't know, like a half an hour into the movie. So I returned it. <laughs> but a couple oh, of you weeks saw the, ago. You saw the best part, the first half hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, Rob. Every half hour is the best half hour <laughs> in this movie. Um, and then like a couple weeks ago when Target was having its buy to get one free sale on media, I picked it up and I watched it this morning and oh boy, did I pick up on things that I was never privy to as a child. Sure. Sure. And like I said, just a few minutes ago, Ben Affleck is basically alluded to in the first act of this movie that he is, he is somebody with, who lacks intelligence one of the first lines of dialogue in this movie is that boy can't even read. Yep, he and can't then, spell rudder properly. Yes, yes. And when we get uh, the scene, uh, him and his adult, as an adult, as you mentioned, he says he has a problem with letters. He had schooling, but the teachers didn't know what to make of him. <laughs> Kate Beckinsale, please fraudulently pass me and possibly endanger many other people in the military. <laughs> and All she's because like, I've got a pretty face. Yes. Isn't he dreamy? I hope he blows someone up. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. This fucking oh, this movie. was a riot. I, my context is very, <laughs> is very interesting. I don't know if you know this, Zach. I have never seen this movie in its entirety before watching it for this recording. The wow. only thing I you lucky individual exactly. I the only thing that I have any context with this movie is that in my eighth grade social studies class, our teacher showed us the attack scene. I remember that, not the whole attack scene because as we'll talk about the the entire Pearl Harbor attack lasts something like thirty something minutes. I actually looked at the timestamps. But we – that is the only thing I had seen about this movie, and I have just – I guess I didn't see it back in, like, the early to mid-2000s just because it was never something, like, popped up on my radar. I, I've never been in my whole life, like, a big, like, world history buff. Like, of course, some people are really into, like, World War One, World War Two, military technology, whatever. That's never been me, so I've never been, like, drawn to this movie. And then after I started to get more into the movies, I did begin to actively avoid this because I do not like Michael Bay films. I don't know if there is a single Michael Bay film I like. The closest one I would say, just because it's interesting, is Pain and Gain. The, it, that's I an know interesting like that, movie. Which is weird. <laughs> that's that's such a weird movie to like of Michael Bay's. Like it's such an odd movie. But I I can't stand the bad boy films. I I don't like The Rock. 
the the fucking Transformers movies are the weirdest things in existence. And and as we said before, Zach and I have seen some of those in theaters together. Um, but Michael Bay has never been my favorite, will never be my favorite. And so I'm I'm glad we're finally getting to him on Cinemodities. I'm just kind of bummed that I had to watch three hours of a movie to finally talk about him. <laughs> I have to say, though, Zach, I am kind of glad that I have now have this in my repertoire. I have seen it. I guess it's kind of technically like a, a, a was a blind spot for me. I have to ask, though, which version of this movie did you watch for this recording? Because do you know that there is an R-rated director's cut? What? I have and watched the R-rated director's cut, which whoa, is whoa, 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 a whoa. whopping 68 seconds longer than the theatrical cut. I, you're blowing my mind right now, sir. Blo- <laughs> okay, okay. What, okay, what is the difference? Because as I was watching this, some things happened that I didn't remember. Okay, okay. I'm glad you asked because I had to look up the differences because, as I said, I had never seen this movie before, so I had no comparison. So when I looked up the differences, there is a lot more... Uh, it's not full-on gore, but there's a lot more violence during the attack scene, which seems to be the major difference between the two versions which adds the additional length to it apparently there are some scenes in the theatrical that do not exist in the version that i have in the version that you watched is there some scene where ben affleck and uh what's name josh hartnett are talking around a campfire Uh, (laughs) vaguely zach's like okay this movie is three hours long (laughs) vaguely i remember that yeah is this this is after he comes. Is this after he comes back from the war or before? I think it's before they ship out for the Doolittle raid. So it's after the attack. Of, I, okay, I, yeah, yeah, okay, then yes, yes, after Pearl Harbor. Yes, that is not after in the Pearl version Harbor. that I watched. Okay. So apparently, some scenes. The but one of the things that I read, which I found absolutely hysterical, because it's like you know, oh, this scene, this scene is extended a little bit, or this scene is taken out from that. It's in the theatrical, it's taken out for this, or this scene is added. I think like Alec Baldwin has another speech in the director's cut that's not in the theatrical. But one of the things that I read is that apparently in the introduction, in the director's cut, in the introduction of Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character when it's, he's in, like, the boxing match, there are more racial slurs in the director's cut. And I found that hilarious to read on the internet. It was like, differences between the theatrical and the director's cut. In the boxing scene, there are more racial slurs. <laughs> I, okay, I did not, I wasn't listening for racial slurs, but Neither I was hear. I, so, I mean, I, I was just like, okay, I guess, you know, clearly, Cuba Gooding's Jr., Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character is looked down upon. There is that little race element, but apparently Michael Bay in his cut felt he needed to hit that home harder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so yeah. I, I watched... Yeah. An additional 68 seconds of Pearl Harbor than Zach did, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. I, I got, I'm going to go. I'm, do you know what the runtime is for the uh, normal version? Uh, it's three hours and three minutes. The director's cut is three hours, four minutes, about, of course, because it has 68 seconds. That's what I okay. found. Okay. According to my Blu ray, the runtime is 183 minutes. Ah, so the director's cut would be 184. Okay, so I do not have that cut. Zach's like, God damn it, we can't damn do this it. recording today. <laughs> God damn it, get back in the car, kids. We're going to get the blue and the director's cut. Oh, of man. Oh, man. Yeah, so I didn't even know that there was uh, two different versions of this. Uh, when I just w- went to search for this movie, the director's cut was the one I ended up getting. Um, and so that's the one I watched because I don't think I'll ever watch another version. I don't want to watch this movie ever again. I have it in my repertoire oh, and it will stay 100- there. 
100% I will watch this again at some point in my life. No <laughs> doubt in my mind. Because I, it, I, every single time I watch this movie or think about it, I always forget that Michael Shannon's in this. Yes. And I just go like, oh, yeah, Michael Shannon's making a surfboard. <laughs> this is the yep. movie where Michael <laughs> Shannon is making a surfboard. It's not Pearl Harbor. He's making a surfboard. In Time Sizemore is a guy named Earl who has a hat that literally says Earl. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. The cat, we... I want a hat that – the I think every character crazy. in every movie should have their name printed on a hat they must wear. <laughs> Can you imagine watching like like Schindler's List and every character's name is written on a baseball cap they have to wear? Oh my god, no, that's wonderful. This fits perfectly. Uh, this that what you just said and this movie fits into something that I know we agree with, and we, we should add what you just said to this idea. But I said, I think it was a long time ago. I said on this podcast, every movie should be titled where it takes place. This movie fits that. It's Pearl Harbor takes place at Pearl Harbor. Phone booth takes place in a phone booth. That Every movie should follow that pattern. And now we should add to that every character should have a hat that says their character's name on it. That would make it so much easier for me Perfect. to know these fucking characters' names. Because I fucking totally forgot after two and a half hours that Alec Baldwin was even in this goddamn movie. And I was like, okay, it's just Alec Baldwin. Rob, I have Rob, no Rob, grounding for this. Rob, Rob, Rob. <laughs> Everybody is in this movie. That is your mistake. It really it's is. fair everybody to assume that someone was work. If everybody, were- if anyone was working in Hollywood in two- the year two thousand, they were in this movie. Yes, <laughs> including John Voight. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Yo, when Dan Aykroyd showed up, I lost my mind. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that Dan Aykroyd was in this too. Like, I like, never what even knew. <laughs> he plays oh naval. God. Like, it- okay, it's kind of weirdly like ironic in eerily prescient that like dan Aykroyd plays like a conspiracy theory like like what naval intelligence officer yes i think he took this rule to heart there is a scene in this movie where there is a naval intelligence scene where they're all the officials are talking dan Aykroyd hasn't said anything yet and one of the other officials says something like oh uh, uh, officer whatever dan Aykroyd's character seems to have a theory about this and one of the others goes well why don't you share it with us and i was hoping i was praying that dan Aykroyd was gonna go aliens (laughs) (laughs) aliens <laughs> <laughs> it's the weird this movie is so fucking strange it I, is to, it's, it's such it's so it is. odd it is to to it's, finish my context though even though i said I, I had only seen the attacks or part of the attack scene that was shown to me in a social studies class in eighth grade i i had never watched this movie fully the only other relationship i have with this movie is that people seem to forget, because it gets overshadowed by a lot of the other songs in this movie, there is a song in Team America World Police about Pearl Harbor, the movie. Are you aware of this, Zach? No. Okay, so I I am a big fan of Team America World Police. I think that movie is great. Of course, like I said, this song called The End of an Act... That's the name of the song, The End of an Act. It gets overshadowed, of course, by, you know, everybody has AIDS and, you know, all that stuff. But in this song... It's one of our characters talking about how much he misses his lady, but he is relating how his emotions to Pearl Harbor, the film. And I will put the clip in because it's not very long, but it is a wonderfully funny song. And I appreciate it more now that I've seen Pearl Harbor. But I just want to let you know, Zach, that the opening lyrics to this song, the end of an act, is our, our, our character singing, I miss you more than Michael Bay missed the mark when he made Pearl Harbor.
I miss you more than Michael Bay missed the mark when he made Pearl Harbor. I miss you more than that movie missed the point. And that's an awful lot, girl. And now, now you've gone away. And all I'm trying to say is Pearl Harbor sucked. And I miss you. Yes, I remember that. Yes, there are other lines in this about where he says, I need you like Ben Affleck needs acting school. He was terrible in that film. <laughs> and then one of, the, one of the things that gets repeated is our character saying, Pearl Harbor sucked and I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> it is, that was the only other thing I knew about Pearl Harbor. And now I have some context to that song now that I've seen this goddamn insane movie. <laughs> And boy, is it, Rob. It is insane. It is 100% insane. I mean, I guess we should get it out of the way because I know we're going to talk a lot about the movie specifically. I, I do want to mention, though, that I'm not surprised that I found this, but basically everything you read about this movie now is that it is terribly historically inaccurate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. My favorite fact about this movie is the two individuals that it's based on, the Josh Harnett and Ben Affleck characters, like, find the film abhorrent. Yes. And I love that. Yes. Well, I found a quote from one of them that uh, – the guy named Kenneth Taylor, because I, I think we should name the uh, one person that was actually in the events of Pearl Harbor and then saw the movie, referred to it as a piece of trash. <laughs> <laughs> and very I commonly, I found this, this same phrase kept popping up. I don't know if somebody coined it and then, like – just reviewers ran with this. It's even on the Wikipedia page and in like reviews from 2001 that I found. This movie commonly gets called a phrase I love now, an abuse of artistic license. <laughs> <laughs> and I am like, it's Michael Bay. What do we expect? Of course, we have some hindsight now or more knowledge of Michael Bay. Maybe in 2001, we weren't aware that he was going to do things like this. But of course he is. If you gave him like a 9-11 movie today... Oh my god, there would be like 
fucking a transformer would have flown into one of the towers, I think, and he would have owned it and played like you know choral orchestral music in the background while it's happening in slow motion. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. I figured we'd get that out of the way because, I, like I said, I'm not a big history buff, so uh, you can read so much of the Wikipedia page for this movie is about the anachronisms relating to, like, Navy and Air Force technology in this movie, where it's like, this ship wasn't invented for 30 more years and blah, blah, blah. So you can do all your research, but if you are going into Pearl Harbor and you are trying to get some recollection of, you know, what happened during the events of Pearl Harbor, this is not the movie to do so. <laughs> Oh God! So Rob, like, do we want to give like, like, oh God? So like, the basic okay, this film only exists because they are trying to emulate Titanic, right? Like that's absolutely. like that's pretty much the main. Absolutely, absolutely. I hope that, that there is a story that you are going to tell me that Michael Bay went into the studio executives with a big picture of Pearl Harbor and said Romeo and Juliet, but at Pearl Harbor. <laughs> No, I was going to say was it's a post. It's, it's the film poster of Forrest Gump with Pearl Harbor and says <laughs> Pearl Harbor. That's good. That's good. Um, and also, Rob, the other big thing is Rob. Guess what movie this is? Guess who owns it? Oh God, I did see this. That it uh, in my some of my research talking about the good old Mickey Mouse arguing about budget with Michael Bay. <laughs> Yep. Oh, this was a Disney film. That is the this weirdest wasn't even, like, thing. Purchased. It's it's not even purchased by Disney. Yep. This was yep. a Disney film done through their Touchstone. Yeah, brand, yeah. That, which is delightful. That is ridiculous to me. This is one of those movies that pops oh, it pops up every once in a while, like from like maybe like the '90s and the early 2000s, where you're like, "Oh, that was a Disney film," and it's like, "Really?" Uh, the other one I think of is um the the uh, the Insider with Al Pacino about like the 60 minutes breaking the story about the tobacco industry. That's a Disney movie. <laughs> There's Pearl a Harbor stuff like is that, a man. Disney movie. This is insane. And I am very happy that at the start of this Disney movie, the first scene, which which I, I, I don't know if we if we go through this movie scene by scene, it will be a, we'll be here for 16 hours. Uh, but the opening scene of this movie is drenched in melodrama. It's so fucking insane. Oh, yeah. The melodrama is literally like pouring over my TV screen as I'm watching it. And in this first scene of a Disney movie, William Fickner hits a child, and then a <laughs> child hits William <laughs> Fickner. And I'm like, oh, what is this movie going to be? This movie that I've never seen no, and oh, only Rob, know Rob, that Rob, a, a Rob. boat's going to explode. <laughs> no, Rob. William Fickner accuses his child's friend of being mentally retarded. Yes. Then hits his own child, and then the other child takes a two-by-four... <laughs> And smacks the adult in the back with it and calls him a German. <laughs> yes, yes, yep. Where my my quote insane. Became, yeah, I will bust you open, you dirty insane. German. And he's like, I'm not a German. I was in the war. And I'm like, William Fickner, you're better than this. <laughs> which which is so it's a weird comment to make. Like in 1923, like it, it's it, it's so weird. Like why would they say that? It's like a kid sitting there like getting mad at their parent being like. Like, I don't know, like, what would be the contemporary example of that being like, I don't know, like, you dirty Trump supporter, like, sure, like just because sure. like, they get sent to bed without dessert. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like a child wrote this at times. Yes, abso absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
If Michael Bay made the 9-11 movie, which I am, I feel like during this course of this conversation, I'm going to slowly convince myself that we need Michael Bay to make a 9-11 movie. <laughs> it, would, it would involve a little kid hitting an adult William Fickner and saying, I will bust you open, you dirty Arab. That would 100% no, be in Michael Bay's 9-11 movie. <laughs> Didn't that already happen? Wasn't that the uh, Benghazi movie? Didn't we already get that? Probably. Do you think – is that the Didn't opening shot of like the Hurt Locker where there's a kid talking about Arabs or something? I don't know. What other Middle East war movies do we have that that could be in? Zero Dark Thirty? <laughs> Thirty. Someone oh. hits Jessica Chastain across the back of the head with a, <laughs> with a two by four. Little kid's like, I'll get oh you, my. Osama. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Like, that's how it begins. Then we cut to, like, what? Uh, oh, my God. Like, like what? It, they're adults. And, and Josh Hartnett and Ben Affleck are like, like oh, God. Like, that's the weird thing about this movie. Is like Ben Affleck just kind of sucks the air out of this movie. Because, like, Josh Hartnett is not even a character. He's just like, yeah. a confused person that's stuff. Like, yes. it feels like he had no direction at all. He's like just an actor that stumbled into production. They're like, here you go. You're in the movie now. And he's like, this isn't Dunkin' Donuts. And they're like, nope, you're in a movie now. Put on the war outfit. One of my notes is literally like, after, because after Ben Affleck dies, which I have a note that says there is no goddamn way he's actually dead, I, that one of my notes is, oh, Josh Hartnett finally has something to do about an hour into the film. <laughs> The only pl- only thing Josh Hartnett has to do in this movie is to have sex with Kate Beckinsale. That is the only thing. Like literally, he shows up. And he's thinking about. It. He is one of the main three characters, mm-hmm. and he literally has maybe five minutes worth of importance in the entire film. Yes, absolutely. It is insane, and the the cast. There is so many famous people in this movie that have so little to do. It's unbelievable. <laughs> But that's the thing, though. Like, 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 I don't know why there are so. Like, there's also a bunch of character actors in this. Yep. Oh, that, yeah. Like, 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 you take the guy that's an alien versus predator who is also in Wonder Woman, who has like the red hair, who like shows up occasionally every yes. like few years. Yes. Like, you have Michael Shannon, who would go on to be a huge character actor, like mm-hmm. in a decade. Mm-hmm. And you have like all these. Like, you have Tom Sizemore, who was a character actor. You have like all these things, and like instead of like taking like this like weird like dozen character ensemble. And condensing them down to like half a dozen, we just spread everything out. And it's like, oh, yeah. why? Yeah. I, I again, I guess it's them trying to emulate Titanic again. Just being like, oh, like it's like it's it's another example of how Titanic is greater than the sum of its parts. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that people like is that people just figured, okay, we can re- like we can like duplicate the success of this by doing very like, just behaving the same way they did, and not realizing that there's more to it than just that. Yep. Yeah, I I I agree with you. The Titanic comparison is what you think of, and it's so apt for this movie. Um, this is another kind of also type of thing where it's like, look at how you can make it work in Titanic and make it not work in Pearl Harbor. I mean, there was so many, like, because this movie's a fucking marathon to get through. If I didn't make that clear enough, this movie is so long that there were certain points where it's like, I still had 40 minutes to go, and I'm like... Then I'm like, oh, Leland Orser shows up. Leland Orser's like this dude I know from just being in like all the Law and Orders and the X Files and all these crazy TV shows. And I'm like, if, if, this is the dude that lets uh, Kate Beckinsale into the the room to like see how the attack oh, yeah. goes at the end. He's like Major Jackson or something like that. His character is fucking introduced because his parking spot is labeled, which is fucking crazy. Yep. And I'm like, oh, it's Leland Orser. We just have so many people throughout this whole goddamn movie. Zach, this movie. 
made me lose my mind. <laughs> but like that's <clears throat> no, like no, this is insane. Like this is the definition of insane. This is called Hollywood, just like hubris run amok. Yes, absolutely. This is another example of nobody know nobody knew when to say no. And but like that's the thing though is that like n- like nobody has a character arc in this. Nope. Like it's just like it's like an episode of Days of Our Lives Pearl Harbor edition. <laughs> yes. Is that like yes. like 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 nothing? And I get it. Like they want the melodrama, but like the melodrama basically is like okay, the, the literally the first like hour and ten minutes is melodrama. Then we have forty minutes of just just sensory overload, and then we have a weird like epilogue that takes up the last third of the movie. Yes. That's completely yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. Like as I was watching this, I'm like, you know what part of the movie was the most interesting to me was after the attack. Like when they show Josh Hartnett and Ben Affleck, and we get this weird sort of just like montage of them like donating blood, helping like get like survivors out of the water, mm-hmm. doing all these things. To me, that is the most interesting part of the movie. Okay, sure, sure. I'm like, instead of having to do a little raid, wouldn't it be great? Like we see. Like, like we have the melodrama that sets everything up. We have the big, like, crescendo, like, action sequence that goes on for, like, over a half an hour. Mm-hmm. And then let the resolution be having our characters work everything out as they literally help, like, mitigate the damage of this attack. Yes, I would be but no, so fine with that. <laughs> we have an epilogue. It's weird that, like, the epilogue is the third act. Yep. And I find that <laughs> so inexplicable. Like, the epilogue could be its own movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, my God, Like, in all yes. honesty, I would rather have, like, this would have been a better movie if we just had either Ben Affleck with the Royal Air Force or we had the Doolittle Raid. Like, you can cut that out completely. You can cut the Doolittle Raid out, and you could sit there and make that the epilogue and Absolutely. literally shave an hour off the runtime. It would make no emotional difference to the film because when, yes. when Josh Hartnick gets shot in the chest, like, it's – never mind. It's a very jarring sequence. Like, Ben Affleck's plane, like, crashes. They get out. They get, like, surrounded by the Japanese. And then, like, Josh Hartnett comes out of nowhere, mows them down, crashes. Like, he's weirdly, like, injured. You know, it's never explained. Mm -hmm. The Japanese then show up, like, capture them. They tie Josh Hartnett to, like, this weird piece of wood. (laughs) Then he gets shot in the chest. And I'm like, what is going on right now? Just like, why are they tying him to a piece of wood? Just have him die in the crash. I, I, like, kind of, like, it's, it's like a, it's like a, like, it's so obvious that you know one of them is going to die, and it has to be Josh Hartnett because Josh Hartnett is not Ben. Affleck. Not a character. He, he's not a character. He's not a character. He's also not Ben Affleck. But exactly. And then, but I'm, I'm watching that scene. I'm like, okay, he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. But it takes so long to get there. <laughs> like, I just don't know. Why? This is a, and I get it. It's Michael Bay. No one's going to tell him no. It's Jerry Bruckheimer. No one's going to tell him oh, no. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and all they're doing is promising Disney Titanic numbers. Just saying billion dollars. Like every time someone went to him, like, what is going on? All Jerry Bruckheimer and Michael Bay are saying is Titanic. And the studio <laughs> just walks away. Yes. And, and that's the thing. And, like, in this mo- and, and that's the part that just makes this so inexplicable. Absolutely. Is that like why? Like why? Like I get it. You want it to be epic, but you could easily take thirty minutes out of this movie, and it would make it better. Oh my god! So much romance that could be cut out of this film. It's insane. So like, much romance. Even, <laughs> I don't even think the romance is the issue. Like I think. Oh, the romance like, is I the love... issue. The romance is the issue, Zach. I no, 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 it's not. So no, it's not. deep. No, it's not. I so deeply I, hate the romance. 
I love the romance because of how horrible it is. I love that it's another instance of just cardboard cutouts being like just being shoved at each other. I think I felt like that way for the first dolls. 20 minutes. And when it went on for 60 more minutes, I was like, please, God, please, God. No, 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 Zach. No, the romance is I so love, <laughs> I love the Josh Hartnett Kate Beckinsale romance because it's so it feels like aliens. It feels like aliens <laughs> took on a human's personas and we're trying to replicate what American it's like what under the skin tries to do. It's that oh like I like to imagine that like after we see like Josh Hartnett and Kate Beckinsale like like are like what shrouded by like the parachutes or whatever the hell it is. Yes. Basically that sex scene is the exact same one from under the skin. <laughs> he tries to penetrate her and there's nothing there and she holds up a lamp without shade or hoo-ha and realizes it's just fake. See, there was a – I like that. I like that a lot. There, there was a moment <laughs> near the end of the movie though that I, I was so against the romance in this that every fucking naval strategy scene, even though I hated those as well, I was dying for them because they weren't the romance scenes. There was a moment at the end of this movie that they could have completely made the entire romance work and they didn't do it. But this was my idea. So the romance aspect of this film is basically like Ben Affleck and Kate Beckinsale fall in love. Ben Affleck goes off to to fight uh, in a part of the war that, like, never existed or something. I was reading about how that whole thing with Ben Affleck going off to fight could not be possible. But they think he's dead. Well, what it was – well, that's the thing. It's like he goes off to, like, the, 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 the what? The European theater of the war. Yeah, 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 exactly. With, like, the Royal Air Force, there's some, like – it's called, like, the Eagle Squadron or something like that. And apparently yeah. – apparently that – the Eagle Squadron existed, but Americans could not get into it. It's impossible somehow, but we, we covered that already. This whole fucking movie seems to be impossible. But when they think Ben Affleck's dead, Kate Beckinsale is like, well, I guess I'll have sex with uh, his best friend. So then Josh Hartnett gets involved. And when Ben Affleck is back alive, we get this love triangle thing. At the end of the movie, Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett go off. Well, they get promoted and then they go off to do the Doolittle raid. And Kate Beckinsale is very worried about both of them because love triangle. That's the answer to that question. Why <laughs> love triangle? This is what should have happened. We get the scene where the, the people who survived the Doolittle raid come back to America. They're getting off the plane. We see that, like, Alec Baldwin has lived. We see Ben Affleck. Kate Beckinsale's like, oh, Ben Affleck's still alive. And she's waiting for Josh Hartnett to come out. And they carry out the coffin. <laughs> And so Kate Beckinsale's like, oh, no, this is this is what the movie should have done at that point to make it to make all the romance work. When Ben Affleck shows back up, Kate Beckinsale should have had another man that she fell in love with. There should have been a continuation of the love. She was like, you were gone. You were gone for a week. I fell in love with somebody else. Like, it should have just kept continuing that every time a man is not in her field of vision, she finds another man. That's what would have worked at the end of this movie. I would have loved that so much. And then in the in the true epilogue of this movie, when Ben Affleck is raising Josh Hartnett's son as his own, I wish there would have been like eight different men. And it's basically like Kate Beckinsale is in like a love like parallelogram or something. She keeps <laughs> fucking different people every time somebody's not fucking her. <laughs> I would have – all the romance would have worked if that happened where it was just like, oh, that's just what happens to Kate Beckinsale. She can't not I be love in it. love with somebody. <laughs> that's it. my fix. That's my fix can for Pearl Harbor. <laughs> can, 
Can we please talk about how, like, there's a very homely Jennifer Garner in this? Oh, my God. Her character is designed to drop medical tools in that hospital scene. <laughs> uh, yeah. I like how she's unrecognizable. Oh, God, yeah. Yes, with because the, they put her in, like, the weird, like, what, curly hair wig? Well, I don't know if it's they give her like wig, the, I'm sure. They give her, like, Coke, they give her, like, Coke bottle glasses. Yep, she's, like, she's oh, stuck up, I think. They do everything back like, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing about this cast. Like, okay, Ben Affleck, Josh Hartnett, Kate Beckinsale, ostensibly our main characters. We mentioned Alec Baldwin, we mentioned John Voight, Michael Shannon, Tom Sizemore, and then you get Jennifer Garner, and then, I've got, I'm trying to, Dan Aykroyd we mentioned. Like, there's so many, Leland Orser I mentioned. And Tom just, Sizemore. Tom, there's so, Cuba Gooding Jr., of course. Has Who literally does not interact with any of the main characters except for Kate Beckinsale for 30 seconds. Yes, it's so weird. He shows up at the 45-minute mark. It takes 45 minutes for Cuba Gooding Jr. to show up, and then he disappears and doesn't come back till the attack happens at, like, the 84-minute mark. It is ridiculous. And then he has a whole scene where he's, like, telling the captain, he's like, you taught, you trained us well, captain. And I'm like, who are these fucking characters? <laughs> oh, God. But I do love the fact, I have to say, that when Cuba Gooding Jr. shows up, I think Michael Bay did it well because Cuba Gooding Jr.'s only lines of dialogue are, show me the money and everybody check out Snow Dogs next year. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was clever. <laughs> You know that part in the film when he's sitting there uh, peeling potatoes and he tells the uh, other workers that in the kitchen? He's like, yeah, check out Snow Dogs next year. <laughs> oh, God. No, this – like we said, there's so many characters in this movie and they're all spread so thin. It, it's, it's so infuriating and I think it's best embodied by the scene after the attack where they're having the like mass funeral. Like you see all the caskets with the flags over them and we are seeing – the characters that survived cry over the caskets of the characters that died, and I am literally like, I have zero connection to any of these characters. Like, I, in the, one of the aftermath scenes when, like, what, Kate Beckinsale is marking people to get into the hospital or not, or looking for things, there's the one dude who's like, this girl's hurt, you gotta check her out, and she's like, oh no, she's dead, and she moves her hair away. I know it's one of the other nurse friends, I just didn't know fucking which one. They all blend together. They have nothing to do. It's and the, then it, Rob, Rob, Rob. It's the blonde one. That's all you need to know. <laughs> and then it turns out in that funeral scene that it was the one that the uh, the stuttering dude was going to marry. And I'm like, oh, that oh. was annoying. Okay. And I'm like, okay. okay can, we talk about, can we please talk about stuttering man for a second? Because like when he's like in the bathroom taking a piss and we hear him, he's like. <laughs> oh, when he has like, trouble alerting that the I, attack is I happening. I was just like, I'm like, I'm like, please somebody kill him. I'm like, please, someone take a gun out and just shoot him. I'm like, that is the most annoying. And like, I don't know why filmmakers feel that like putting speech impediments in the movie is a good thing. Yeah. Unless yeah. like you're doing like as good as like, unless you're doing something like where like it's a central plot point or like a theme to the film. Having a character with a speech impediment that's unnecessary to the plot or a theme that you're trying to get at is literal cinematic cancer. Very, Like, very it literally is. Yeah. Like, because I'm just like, shoot this character in the head. I'm like, when that's happening, I was hoping someone would take, take the revolver out and just shoot him. And be like, oh no, the jab! So, oh god, no! Oh no! They pull like Goddamn a corrupt. Jacks. They pull like a corrupt cop thing where someone shoots him, and then they put the gun on the body and go, look, you see, he had a gun. We had to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
They put a, they shoot him, and then they put like a bag of cocaine on him, labeled evidence, and they're like, "Look, he had the cocaine. We had to shoot him." That would have been a good scene in this movie. Absolutely. Oh my god. No, Zach. I just want to. I want to clarify. Are you saying that uh, Paul Giamatti's incredibly intense and frequent stuttering in M Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water is not a good thing in cinema? Have you seen Lady in the Water? I've never seen that movie, but I understand that creative choice because. M. Night Shyamalan, or when he wrote that character, he's the film critic, and that character is supposed to embody, embody cancer, the human personification <laughs> of cancer. So I'm willing to accept that. I will put a clip of Paul Giamatti stuttering in this movie, uh, in this episode, and I want the audience to know I am not editing it in any way. He literally stutters like that in the movie. Ah. Oh. Well, it's some kind of ab- bug. It's very big. So, so yes, but he's I agree doing that on purpose because he. But the the intent of that choice is that you're supposed to hate that character. You're not oh, supposed absolutely. to hate the character. Paul Red Giamatti's character name in Lady in the Water is Cleveland Heap. <laughs> and if you don't hate him enough for that, it's you hate him for the stutter and how stupid he is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We'll get to that one. Day. Um, we'll do Lady in the Water one day. <laughs> yeah, so do the M Night Shyamalan. Have you ever done M Night Font film before? No, like no. There's no way we. I don't even think we've talked film. about doing one ever. No. Why? Like, why signs. would we do the Sign, Sixth Sense? Signs. signs almost, yes. Signs yes, almost it. showed up in the Monstober. That almost showed up in the Monstober. Signs would be interesting. Uh, Lady in the Water would be interesting. That's that fits Cinemati as well. The but then, Village. Oh, we and glass. we've talked about After Earth before. <laughs> We should do an entire series on After Earth and Glass. Like a whole month type of thing, you're saying? Yes. Like, yes. Okay, okay. We do, we do After Earth, Glass, and then After Earth, Glass. We don't even do, like, Unbreakable and Split. We just do no. Glass. No, no, <laughs> just Glass. <laughs> then we'll also throw that Elevator movie he made, or he produced. Yeah, yeah. I think he wrote and produced. Uh, I think it's called yeah. Devil. I think it's just called Devil. Fine, 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 whatever. It's the elevator movie. It's the, the elevator, elevator movie. movie. It doesn't need... Delevator. Elevator. There we go. It should be called Hellevator. Hellevator. It only goes down. That's a tagline. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's wonderful. Cinematis presents Hellevator. It only, only goes, goes down. down. <laughs> it's the sequel to like the Cinematis, uh uh, carousel that you, the only ride you get off on twice <laughs> we just have a, se- a sequence of cinematis movies that are based on like things that move you like a carousel an elevator <laughs> perfect her oh god um but getting back to pearl harbor um yeah pearl harbor's a mess like it's <laughs> yes. a mess but it's an entertaining mess oh my like, god like 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 that's the thing about this movie though is that like almost every single scene in this movie I don't know how anybody – how any human being with even like a modicum of like common sense could allow this to be a, like a major motion picture. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's like you said earlier and we've talked about a lot. This is a clear textbook example of when nobody knew when to say no, and it is it is ridiculous. It, it shows up everywhere in the dialogue, in how long it is, in all the different char- – it is, it is over – it is overindulgence and excessiveness, like to a T, and it is ridiculous. It is so fucking ridiculous. Which is why I want Kate Beckinsale to have like eight different men at the end. It would fit so perfectly. <laughs> oh god. I mean, so what? What do we? What are? 
we doing with our lives, Zach? I was going to say, <laughs> how do we discuss this? But I'm just going to say, what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> Can I, how about this? How about this? Can I, before we get into this movie, I do want to talk a little bit about Josh Hartnett. I'm not a big fan of Josh Hartnett, but when I was looking into, I was like, oh, what else has he been in? Because I've seen him in a few things, and I was like, let me look at his filmography when I was doing my research for this movie. This is something I needed to point out. Okay, so Josh Hartnett has been in Halloween H2O 20 years mm-hmm. later. He's been in 30 Days of Night, and he's been in 40 Days and 40 Nights. Yes, if yes, you want, yes. If you want to stretch it, he's also been in O, which you can make an argument represents zero. So clearly, Josh Hartnett <laughs> needs to be only in movies with multiples of 10 in their title. That's my pitch. What do you think? <laughs> Zach's sold. I, it, I think Zach is literally writing an email to Disney right now. <laughs> no, I'm reading Roger Ebert's review of Pearl Harbor where he gave it one and a half stars. He goes, Pearl Harbor is a two-hour movie squeezed into a three-hour film. <laughs> yes. That is a great way to put it. <laughs> its centerpiece is 30, 40 minutes of redundant special effects surrounded by a love story of stunning banality. The film has been directed without grace, vision, or originality, and although you may walk out quoting lines of dialogue, it will not be because you admire them. Yeah, that is accurate. That is absolutely accurate. <laughs> the filmmakers seem to have aimed the film at an audience that may not have heard of Pearl Harbor or perhaps even of World War II. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah. I, I guess I should say, to, to get at uh, Ebert's point with the you know quoting dialogue, not because you love it, there were it uh, probably my favorite stuff in the movie comes from the or my favorite line in the movie comes from one of the Japanese officers in subtitle form when it first happens when we get those scenes of the Japanese officers planning the attack on Pearl Harbor or just planning an attack in general I think whatever it is one of them says if we achieve surprise the Americans will offer little resistance and I like the phrase achieve surprise I was like, that's a very – I don't know if I would ever think to say that. And then later on in the movie when the attack starts happening, we get one of the the Japanese officials with subtitle, we have achieved surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And I found that so funny that I was like, oh, achieved surprise. That's a weird like turn of phrase. And then just one cut to them, one line of dialogue, one subtitle, we have achieved surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I do have to say my favorite part of the movie – Maybe not favorite part. I don't know if I have a favorite part. That's also maybe the end credits. Uh, I did enjoy (laughs) most of the actual attack on Pearl Harbor. I thought, like, Michael Bay, if you love him or hate him, I think that there is an argument to be made that he understands action. And I liked some of this attack on Pearl Harbor. I had some – I was actually interested, I should say, for the first time after 84 minutes because the 84-minute mark, at least in the director's cut – is when the U.S. officials start realizing that enemies are incoming, and then at 119 minutes is when the Japanese admiral withdraws the third wave. So that is 35 minutes of the attack. And for some of that, I was into it. I didn't like the blurry camera in the hospital scenes. I was like, Michael Bay... That's weird. That was really weird. Yeah, I'm like, Michael Bay, I I fucking understand. I fundamentally understand this is disorienting. You don't need to obscure my vision to illustrate that. Well, that's... But this is the thing is like I don't know like it's such a bizarre choice because it comes out of nowhere and it's only like exclusive to those moments. Yes. But at the same time though, like I also wonder like oh did he do that to like, did they were they forced to do that to obscure any sort of gore to get a PG thirteen rating? It's still in the R rated, so I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't think they were fixing. Like, like, oh, like, sure, sure. Michael Bay isn't someone who goes back, goes back and fixes this movie. He doesn't care. Like, yes. he, he turns these things out the same way McDonald's turns out Big Macs. He doesn't care. <laughs> it's not art. It's a product. As long as the check clears, he doesn't care. A phrase that I have not used a lot recently. It's as long as the check clears, he does not care about any of these. Oh yeah, that is that. The, Michael Bay might be like the embodiment of that phrase. <laughs> As long as the check clears. Oh, God. But, yeah, I mean, so I didn't love everything in there, but I, I liked a lot of it because something was finally happening. I think the action is done well. I mean, it, it's like those, like we talked about in our Titanic episode where I feel like, you know, I was expecting going into Titanic to not like a lot of the romance and then just look forward to the the sinking scene where something starts to happen. And as I discussed, you know, my my personal hot take was that Titanic's pretty good. It all works together. This is the opposite. I can't stand the goddamn romance. And then I like when I see, you know, a boat blow up and people go flying. I'm fine. That's more interesting to me. But it, I go once again, it, Titanic is the apt comparison to this movie. All right, Rob, I am looking at – okay, if anyone ever wants a good laugh, go on ID, IMDb and look up the uh, the premiere photos they had while they're in Hawaii. It's absolutely insane. Okay, okay. I just sent Rob one of them right now. Someone There's one just of, texted <clears throat> me. How dare anybody text me while we're recording an episode, <laughs> Like some of these are insane. Like one of the I, – I, it's possibly the greatest image <laughs> Now, Rob, now I have in my text in my phone just a picture of Ben Affleck opening his suit jacket, wearing a wearing a lay. Oh god! But no, Rob, 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 Rob please describe the uh, emotion he's uh, doing. Uh, indifferent. Indifference. <laughs> That's what I get. Indifferent, maybe. <laughs> questioning every decision that led Lo- to this point lost in, his in life. thought. <laughs> It's the same thing that he did when, um, like during the Batman v Superman interviews, where he's like Henry Cavill's just talking yes, on and on. That is <laughs> actually very on the nose. My yes. old friend. Yes. I've maybe to... maybe hungry. <laughs> it's a picture of Roy Disney at the premiere. This is great. That is that is insane. That is absolutely insane. Oh God. Oh my God. This Call is great. <laughs> If you go to IMDb, folks, just keep doing it. You're going to find some great pictures. Speaking of um, IMDb, I, I did, as I usually do, uh, run through the IMDb trivia. Uh, I there's The IMDb trivia, I don't think there's really anything interesting that wasn't, you know, most of the IMDb trivia is like, this movie is not historically accurate. And I'm like, yeah, fucking, that is not trivia. Uh, that, is just, that is just something you should know when you, you know, think about this movie. But near the end of the IMDb trivia page, there are like three consecutive facts saying that Ben Affleck and Michael Shannon later go on to be in DC comic book movies. Three separate instances right next to each other that say the same thing. And I'm like, God damn it, IMDb Trivia. You suck so hard. (laughs) I like somebody sat there made like World War II, like promotional posters. Like, um, oh yeah. Like propaganda esque things. Yeah, yeah, I and saw that. Ben yeah. Affleck looking confused. It's like man the guns join the fight. Kate Beckinsale saying nurses are needed now to have and to hold. And then there's like it's a random one of Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, uh, that was that's what shocked me. The Cuba Gooding Jr. got one. I was like, because before I had seen this movie, like I said, I I knew that he was in it. I knew that from the attack part that I saw in social studies. I remember seeing him like behind uh, a turret shooting at planes. And then I watched the movie, and I'm like, oh my god, he has literally like 90 seconds of screen time. 
It's it's ridiculous, and he gets his own poster. But like the thing I don't get, like, and this goes back to like like the actors and stardom of the early two thousands. Like, there were three definitive posters for this movie when it like for like marketing purposes. There was one of the Japanese Zero, like mm-hmm. like with the clouds and the ocean. Then there was like every single one like focused on the Japanese Zero. Then there was the other one like in front of like the infamous like image of like I think I, I don't know which battleship it was like sinking. And there's another one of Kate Beckinsale, Ben Affleck, and Josh Hartnett. And okay. again, once again, it features the zero. And yet, like top build, exclusively top build, is Ben Affleck's name. Mm, okay. Was he really that big of an actor in 2001? Like, was he that big of a draw? I I mean I I guess I we, we I think we talked about a little well, bit on Gili and that you know he he had this weird leading man star power for so long. He, he did, but that was like two years later. Like if you look well, at sure, if you sure. look at him, like uh, I guess like okay, like he has at that point like his first major like blockbuster was Armageddon. Yes, yes. And then like Armageddon's ninety eight, ninety nine. Like he has like Forces of Nature, which was the Sandra Bullock one, like, film. Okay, Dogma, which were both like not huge, huge ones. And then by like two thousand, he has like Reindeer Games and Bounce, which were like they weren't. Like, oh god! Like, not enough to lead like a two hundred million dollar like tentpole yeah, going into it. Yeah, I would agree. When was Goodwill Hunting? Is he even in Goodwill Hunting? <laughs> he 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 is in Goodwill Hunting, but okay. like he's more of like a supporting character. Yeah, it. yeah, okay, okay, yeah. Okay. Like, I, I, people knew who Ben Affleck was going into two thousand one, but like he was not the, like he wasn't Tom Cruise. Absolutely. Like the kind of like like he, he was not that level and that's like at that point the only person that gets that sort of treatment is your tom cruises like you're larger than life actors but like 2002 like let's say like for something like the sum of all fears yeah yeah or daredevil that i get mm-hmm. or even like i said geely i get but by 2001 to have pearl harbor yeah and then having point. just his name top build i think is just like too much of a reach it's sure. too much of a reach and I think, he, like I said, I, I he was too much in that sense. Like I, I think he was too. He doesn't have the uh, the acting prowess to hold a film of this sort of caliber. Yes, I completely agree with you there. And I also, on this topic, want to now pitch that we, in one of our Cinemodities movie productions, the poster for the movie should be an image of a calendar. Open to the August page with August 15th circled and the above the title, like or the top of the poster name is like starring Ben Affleck's birthday. Like we use Ben Affleck's birthday as like our, our big head on the poster. I don't know what the fucking movie would be about, but I just want that as the poster. Maximo, get on that. That would be a great poster to see. <laughs> But I'm with you. Ben Affleck I want, in 2001. I want to take out and add in one of the trade papers for like a movie, <laughs> and that's what it is. Yes, yeah. But yeah, in 2001, like you mentioned Dogma. I mean, he he is in a lot of those, maybe not a lot, but he's multiple of the uh, Kevin Smith movies as the lead. But those are all so small and, and, you know, more indie than anything. That Yeah, it's that's a good point that I didn't think about. It's like, how does he... Is he the lead of Armageddon? Is he the one that's in love with... Who's, who's the woman? Liv Tyler in Armageddon? Rob, Rob, we all have to admit that the lead of Armageddon is the Aerosmith song. I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> and Bruce Willis. And Space Dementia. <laughs> Space Dementia. 
<laughs> I forgot about space dementia. <laughs> that is the weirdest goddamn part of Armageddon, where at the end, they're just, what, I think, who, Steve Buscemi goes crazy? Or someone goes crazy mm-hmm. and is like, we should all kill ourselves! And another character's just like, huh, space dementia. And they just ignore it. And I'm just like, oh, okay. You don't think during your fucking training montage somebody would have mentioned that space dementia is a possibility? <laughs> Oh God, Michael Bay, man! <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Like, you look at like like Ben Affleck's films from two thousand. Like, you have Balance with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, which you've seen, right? You yes. watched that. Yeah, okay. I, watched I have not it, seen like, it a few years ago. Yeah. Budget thirty five million, worldwide gross fifty three million. Probably eked out a uh, profit on home video. Okay. Reindeer Games, which is also which uh, Charlize Theron, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gary Sinise, uh, yeah. had a <laughs> yeah has a budget of forty two million dollars worldwide, gross thirty two million dollars. You have Forces of Nature, which grossed had a budget of seventy five million worldwide, gross of ninety three. Okay. You have Dogma. Which I would say was niche at the time. Yes, absolutely. Budget ten million, not ten million dollar budget worldwide gross thirty one. But again, very niche. And you have Armageddon, which is ninety eight. But like that was like a ensemble cast: Bruce mm-hmm. Willis, Billy Bob Thornton. So like, again, worldwide gross five hundred fifty three million on a hundred forty million dollar budget. Which it probably again that made money though. But like you can't attribute that all to him. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, that was Michael Bay. But again, you had a bunch of other people in that movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. William Fickner, yep. <laughs> yeah, sure. You have, yeah, again, Owen Wilson. Again, oh, li- again, the list yeah. goes on and on. Jesus. <laughs> like, that's what I mean, though. So, like, he like he was never star potential. Like, like Hollywood tried. Like, ben Affleck was one of those actors, like, when it came to star power, they willed him into existence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so, it's so strange. And, you know, to be. To be, I guess, I guess this is worth bringing up a little bit because uh, off mic, uh, Zach and I did have somebody say to us, "What is the deal with you guys and Ben Affleck's birthday?" <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess I, I, I do want to say, you know, the the whole reason that you know I know that I have the same birthday as Ben Affleck is because like when I was in like in sixth grade or something, the library of my school like had a book that was about like you know. That they had like all these books for different like days of the year or something, and it was like oh on this or months or something like that, and the chapters were days. And for some reason, I was like oh let me find the August one and see what's on August fifteenth. And way back when, it was like oh August fifteenth, Ben Affleck's birthday. And me in sixth grade knew who Ben Affleck was. That's the other thing that I find crazy. When I was that young, I wasn't watching Armageddon by the time I was in sixth grade. I wasn't watching like Chasing Amy and Dogma. How the hell did I know who Ben Affleck was? But I did I for some he, reason. Again, uh, Hollywood, Hollywood yeah, and the yeah. media willed him into existence. I, yeah, willed I, his superstardom. That is exactly – I agree with you completely because even – who knows when that book was published. It had to be before I was in sixth grade. But why the hell is Ben Affleck in that book? <laughs> like Napoleon Bonaparte's birthday is August 15th. Like that's a bo- that's a very that's like a, an important historical figure that would make sense. They put fucking Ben Affleck next to Napoleon. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a, it's like the feast of the Assumption. It's like a Christian holiday. Like there's other things on August 15th, but for some reason, me in sixth grade was like Ben Affleck, and I'm like, how how could that be possible? <laughs> Another mystery, Rob. It's, it is. It is absolutely crazy. I like you saying it's willed into existence. That is absolutely accurate. <laughs> Just like James yeah. Cameron has his shaman that he's using to trick everybody into thinking <laughs> that Terminator 2 and Aliens are good movies, Hollywood is using the same shaman to make everybody know who Ben Affleck is. <laughs> 
Oh god. Oh Ben, ben Affleck. Affleck. I I think I uh, this is not a hot take. I do not like him in this movie. <laughs> You're not wrong, Rob. Oh god, no, no. I mean this and the whole romance stuff with him. I mean, you get all that like the melodrama, the nonsense with um, him breaking his nose, him shooting the cork into his broken nose. The the scene with him and Kate Beckinsale that's so strange, where he's like, "Listen, Kate Beckinsale, I got to tell you, I'm going off to war tomorrow." And, well, no, we get the great line where he says something like, I'm going away. And she goes, don't be silly. We're all going away. We're all going to Pearl Harbor, the safest place in the war. And he's like, no, I'm going to war. And she's like, oh, no, well, I guess we spent our last night together. We should have sex. And he's like, no, we will not have sex. We, I am a better than having sex with a woman. And she's like, no, I kind of really want to have sex. And he's like, no, I'm going to go to war and die. And it's the weirdest scene where they do the revolving door thing. Fucking, this movie is batshit insane, Zach. <laughs> yes, it is, Rob. Yes, it is. Can, can we talk about that for a little bit? How over the fucking top this movie is in that first 80 minutes with all the characters literally multiple times looking into the camera and going, nothing bad could ever happen to Pearl Harbor. We, oh my God, that drove me crazy, Zach. Who is seeing this movie not knowing what's going to (laughs) happen? We should group all our planes together. We should put them in one building because we have nothing to worry about in Pearl Harbor. And I am like, fuck you, movie. Rob, Rob, which is more, Rob, which is more egregious? The Jimmy C. line from Titanic, Pablo something, he'll never amount to anything, mark my words, or I think World War II just started. Oh, if, if, we're, talking, if we're talking about how frequently it comes up, it's this movie because they do it so often. If we're just comparing like line to line, it has to be this because this is the point <laughs> of the movie. The point of Titanic is not that Picasso will become famous. <laughs> the point of this movie is that Pearl Harbor will blow up. So I'm going to go with this one. Like, like the, the, the Picasso thing is like, oh, we all know Picasso, famous artist. Like, you know, let's be like, oh, he's never going to amount to anything. But then they don't focus on it. That is the focus of this movie is that Pearl Harbor will get attacked. So I'm going to go with Pearl Harbor. <laughs> so okay, even, even in egregious, stupid nods to the audience of the modern era, Titanic does it better than Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Damn straight. Oh, God. Damn uh, another straight. line that I I think I literally said fuck you to my TV when it happened is when the <laughs> Japanese official says something like, oh, we should do this and, you know, include all these places and that will make the attack even more successful and we will achieve surprise. And then the other official is like, that is brilliant. You You are a brilliant man. You have made a good decision. And the subtitle says... A brilliant man would find a way to not fight a war. And he looks directly at the camera, and I'm like, no! <laughs> it's so hackneyed, though. It it's is. so it hackneyed. Is. And yet, like, like that sort of stuff doesn't, like, that sort of stuff doesn't bother me. Like, I just, like, that's the thing. Like, I kind, I don't know if it's a nostalgia or what, but, like, I, that doesn't, like, it, don't get me wrong. This movie is insane. It's inexplicable. It's dumb, maybe, in every single sense of the word. <laughs> But it's also like very amusing. Like, like that's the it thing. Is, like, yeah. were you were you entertained by this, or was like this like a slog? It definitely dragged for me at certain points. I would say specifically that like what maybe like the twenty five to the forty five minute mark, which is heavy, heavy romance. That was dragging for me. But I have to say, no, this this honestly was not the worst three hours I've ever spent watching a movie. 
was it the best? No, absolutely not. But I, I, it had enough going to keep me entertained. And at least in the scenes that were driving me crazy, I was able to like take notes about things that were driving me crazy. So no. And I guess my kind of reversal to you, the question to get back to your context, I am interested to know, what did you think about this seeing it in theaters? Like when you were, I know you said you wanted to see it, but did you like it? Like coming oh, yeah. out of the I loved theater? it. Oh yeah, I loved okay. it. Oh, I, I mean... loved it. I, I, I okay. Keep in mind, this was like you have to remember. This is where I kind of just ate up everything. Sure. Like sure. if we look at all, like, like there wasn't a movie that I, it wasn't. I would say that for like the longest time, even if I didn't like a movie, I would still like like it. I guess I didn't know any better. I didn't have any taste. It's kind of like how like I like Transformers: Revenge of the Fall in sure. two thousand nine. Sure. Um. Like again, I liked movies. It was just like I liked movies, therefore I liked everything. It was very rare for me. Like at the time, the only movies like I didn't like were something like I don't. And this was like not until years later. It was like Reign of Fire, the Christian Bale, uh, Matthew McConaughey Dragon movie because I just didn't want to see that. I got okay. dragged to it. Yeah, Hidalgo <laughs> with uh, Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> like I just didn't like. Again, I didn't like. Again, I knew what I liked. Like if I didn't want to go see, like I didn't see something if I didn't want to. I'm sorry. If I didn't already think I was predisposed, yeah, predisposed to like it, I wouldn't have go see it. Sure, sure. Like I was the catalyst as to why I went to the movies. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I, I if I saw marketing for it, I wanted to see it. And I was already gonna like it. It was very rare for me to ever go see a movie in the theaters at that time and not like it to some level. Okay. And then once I saw it, I wanted to own it. I think Rob and I have talked numerous times. Like we both have this thing of just having to own something. So I was always I, – I had it on video, and then I rewatched it all the time. And it's not until years later, got at least 15-plus years later, where I came like, okay, I don't want this in my collection. Sure. Like this is not worth my money. I don't want this to share shelf space with something else that I do genuinely value. Okay, okay, gotcha. Like I think we've talked a couple times. Like, like, again, we mentioned it earlier, like going back and revisiting something and not liking it. And this is one of those ones where, like, I'll go back and watch Die Another Day, and I'll be like, oh, God, I actually like that time. <laughs> I go back with this, and I'm just, like, I'm just giddy because it's, like, it's how dumb it is. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's a that's an understatement. Because, <laughs> like I said, it has, it has enough dumb charm to it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's enough to, to just be – that's so absolutely bonkers and ridiculous that it keeps me going. And like I said, it's it's really that first part in that – within the, the romance within that first hour is what really just makes me want to die. Like it's it's physically killing me. But then it then it starts moving. There's stuff actually happening and you know, I'm I'm fine with the with the attack, like I said. I enjoyed that the most, I think. Afterwards, like you mentioned, it's ridiculous that the you know, there's a whole nother movie at the end of this movie. And I mean, even the setup for like the planning the Japanese planning to attack Pearl Harbor, the scenes of, you know, even though it's so hackneyed that, you know, that they're like nothing bad could ever happen to Pearl Harbor. I like the idea that, you know, we're seeing, you know, the humans being ignorant where they're like, no torpedo could ever blow up a ship in Pearl Harbor because the waters are too shallow. Cut to a scene where the Japanese invent this technology that lets the torpedoes travel through shallow water. And I'm like, I like that idea that, you know, humans are stupid and they they can't foresee other humans inventing things. And I'm fine with all that. It's just that first, that goddamn, that... 
what we get the 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 opening scene where William Fickner hits a child, and then you know the all the stuff, and then for some reason Kate Beckinsale was on a train telling the story about how she met Ben Affleck. There's that that lasts so fucking long and stuff like that. After the story's over, there's more romance. And I'm just, that's where I'm like, oh my god, no. But then it keeps moving. Then it actually starts going, and I have to say, you know, it's not it's not a slog, to answer your question, you know, succinctly. And so I'm, I'm, it, I'm weirdly fine with this movie in, like, physically watching it. Would I ever watch it again? Probably never. I don't think I could ever watch this again, because it's so goddamn long, and it's like, I, like I said, I have it in my repertoire, I could just mention these things now. <laughs> I was shown the harbors. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, like that's that's the thing about this movie is that like it's such a unique case because like like after this, is there another historical what would you call it tragedy? I don't know that that's ever done again on this scale. Mm, probably not. Like that's the thing too. Like now mm. when you have like tragedies, like there's always a level of politics involved. Yeah, but yeah. like like Pearl Harbor is probably the last one that you like. There's a clear. Good and bad guy. Yes, that absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I think the thing that comes to mind because, of course, this is our series about it. Nine Eleven. There is the United ninety three movie where sure. they clearly are just like hijacker is bad guy, which makes perfect sense. Any, any but sure, it's under to be nine eleven. Any plane movie that's getting hijacked, hijacker's the bad guy. You know, sure. But at the same time, though, is that there's like a that is not done on the same scale as this entire definitely, war. definitely. And on top of that, like it's also. It's you. You can't help but weave contemporary politics into it. Exactly. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Then um, you get the whole thing like, okay, U.S. intervention in the Middle East, and that becomes a whole freaking thing that yes. kind of like, like yes. that's the thing. Like, I think about it. For the most part, even if you delve really deep into like World War II history and what led up to the Pearl Harbor attack, is that like, well, the Japanese still it was premeditated, undue sort of violence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was undue aggressive nature. And that's where it's like, okay, it's probably one of the last few times. And just think about it, after every conflict in you, basically at least U.S. history, there's always that nature of, oh, okay, what was it a step too far? And this is one, one probably the last time in American history where Amer- America is seen as the victim outside of 9-11 for the most part. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe something in that in that idea sticks with Ben Affleck because, of course, he goes on to make Argo. <laughs> Which is about when the U.S. Embassy gets stormed in Iran. I think it's Iran. Yeah, um, yeah. And so maybe Ben Affleck's like, man, we need the Americans to be the victim again. Uh, yeah, the embassy in Iran, when that happened, let's make a whole boring movie about it. <laughs> but you can even make an argument there is that like that wouldn't have happened unless the U.S., like, what's the word, gave the, the Shah of Iran. Uh, oh, sure, sure. Uh, oh, God, well, not shelter. What's the term for that? Uh, sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, 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 that's, you, you could even make that argument about that film. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and that's the thing that's interesting. So, like again, it's just it's it's weird to think about that. Like you have Titanic, and you have Pearl Harbor, that for the time being are now the like as strange as it says about Pearl Harbor, and it's probably you probably could argue it is that like Pearl Harbor for the most part is now the definitive like like Pearl Harbor film. Like yes, yes there are other films like Tora Tora Tora, but like when you think of a film about Pearl Harbor. You think Michael Bay and Ben Affleck? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a. Yeah. Other than that, because we meant, of course, nine eleven, American tragedy. <laughs> the nine eleven movie we have, well, United ninety three, isn't even about one of the planes that hit the towers. It's about the plane that went down in the yeah. Pennsylvania. I mean, 
what uh, and then the other 911 movie halves are like um you know what uh, it it's tacked on somewhere like uh like our favorite thing remember me where it turns out that it happens to be 911 at the end of the movie and then what i think what isn't there some adam sandler movie where he's like racked by him his family dying in 911 but it's not about 911 actually i think it's called what? rain over me r e i g n are you, Rob, are you talking about the Lady Gaga Ariana Grande music video? Like, like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not pretty sure this doesn't exist. It doesn't what exist. What are you talking about? <laughs> An Adam Sandler movie where he deals with the grief of his family being killed in 9 11. What? Either either that this actually exists? happened and I'm and I'm remembering it for some reason. Or was it a fever dream? I dreamt this, as I was about to say. <laughs> All right, someone get Adam Sandler on the phone. We have a great idea for a movie. But it's like we don't have or maybe there's one I don't know of. Maybe there's like a um like a, a movie about the – like a, a fictionalized account. I'm not talking about the 9-11 French documentary that is legitimately about 9-11. But like maybe there's some movie that I don't know where it's about the firemen dealing with 9-11 and all the stuff they had to go through. But that's but, the thing though. Yeah. Is that like you can't really do – like there's nothing like grandy – Okay, this is gonna sound horrible. No, I, I think I know what you're about bit, to say. Yeah, but like, there's nothing. Like, that's the thing. Like, there's nothing. What's the word? Um, you can't romanticize 9/11. Like, that's the thing. You cannot like, like. Whereas with like, oh god, um, somewhere, Titan- Titanic, somewhere you right can- now, when you said that, Michael Bay said, <laughs> "Hold my beer." <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> but like, that's the thing. You cannot romanticize 9/11. And I th- and that's the thing. You really can't romanticize contemporary violence like that. It's sure. like when they try doing, like I said, we already talked, like we kind of just like hinted upon it, um, the Benghazi movie. Yeah. Like there's a yeah. reason why that movie never like, – I'm not saying resonated to a Titanic level. Something like that was never going to get to that levels. But the thing about it though is that Benghazi is such a specific thing that like and that's what we have now like in today's culture we really don't have these sort of mass attacks anymore we have these kind of small skirmishes a la like a black hawk down circumstance yeah yeah or a and even that that does not romanticize it it kind of just shows the brutality of the situation and i think like 9-11 is still so relevant and Mm -hmm. still fresh in people's minds there's no way to do that and like i said like how do you romanticize 9-11 like it's like Titanic is easy to romanticize when sure. you really think about it. Even Pearl Harbor, like I don't think you can romanticize that, but you can make it an engaging story. You can you can create an engaging narrative from that. Sure. You really can't do that with nine eleven. You, you just can't because it just happened all of a sudden, and uh, again, it's it, it, I would say it's almost like narratively impossible. That it is, uh, it is that is a it's almost tough territory. Very tough territory. I think the the best thing to say about it is if somebody attempts it, we will watch it. <laughs> we should have – I'm not sure if – speaking of Ben Affleck and all of his nonsense, I'm not sure if Rob's seen like the recent interviews with Chris Terrio like, like regarding like Batman v Superman. Oh, no. And he's like, it's cinematic vandalism, what Warner Brothers did to like Justice League. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is going on right now? <laughs> Oh jeez! Oh god! I, I mean, it. I love it so much. Yeah, I mean, okay. So let's say, like James Cameron, he's known for like his big spectacle stuff, even before Titanic. I'd say, like with the Terminator Two, with Aliens, it's it's always maybe in a sense of like he wants to ramp up. Michael Bay becomes Mister Explosion and Mister, you know, let's break the world record for the number of camera edits in two seconds. So they give him Pearl Harbor, another big thing. Is there is there a modern or more recent director? Because, of course, Jimmy C. and Michael Bay are still around. Do we have an equivalent of, like, 
somebody that if they were trying to make a like a a human an empathetic romance type narrative tied to 911 that they would give it to if that question makes sense like who is who is the modern who would get that movie is what i'm saying would they go back to a michael bay or a james cameron because they've tried that romanticism before or is there someone that could pull it off or attempt to pull it off in the modern era ridley scott I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it either, but I think it's the best. Uh, I, I don't know, really. I, I can think about like we talked about Noah. Like, yeah. We have Darren Aronofsky's Noah. Like mm-hmm. that could be the same thing where it's like, oh. it's like, you know, it's more of a biblical, oh God, um, fable esque, like tragedy, sure, something sure. like that. Yeah. And even that is like, Aronofsky couldn't handle that. <laughs> no okay yeah ridley scott's interesting what about roland emmerich <laughs> could you imagine there how you bad go. that movie doesn't work Do- doesn't work again another example like okay there you go here's another example and it doesn't work oh man but i feel like i don't yeah i guess I, i'm not because uh, like maybe that's the problem of modern filmmaking is that all these directors that as soon as they start to show promise they get nabbed up by the marvel machine because Ridley know, Scott, a... Roland Emmerich, you know the people, Aronofsky, the people are talking about, they've already been established. Like I, like, is there somebody that's like up and coming that's that's shown that they can do this type of action with this emotional connection? Because I don't. Cause Ryan I, Johnson. Ryan. <laughs> now, if we had Ryan Johnson directing uh, Daniel Craig in his Foghorn Leghorn voice in a 9/11 movie, I'd be there. I would be there. <laughs> and by to, there, he, okay, I mean okay, in Rob, front Rob. of my TV on HBO Max. <laughs> Okay, Rob, we have Ryan Johnson directing Daniel Craig as Foghorn Leghorn trying to figure out if jet fuel can melt steel beams. Oh, it's a donut, and inside the donut is a hole, and inside the hole is another donut, another hole, or whatever he says in Knives Out. But he's talking about 9-11 conspiracies. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> there you go. You figured it out, Rob. You cracked the code. Okay, let's, uh, let's get Ryan Johnson on the phone. <laughs> I mean, no, but I'm I'm with you. It's a very, very, it's really tough territory, not only because, like you said, 9-11 is still relevant to some sense where, you know, maybe, maybe that, is that the thing, though, that do we just need time to pass where, where, you know, when this movie came out, when it was being made, you know, worked on, developed 90s to this early 2000s point, people who were in the actual events at Pearl Harbor were still alive, but I would say for the most part, you know, like when we grew up, what is Pearl Harbor to us? Pearl Harbor is something we learn about in school. You know, what is the it's Titanic? A historical is? Event. It's a historical event. Exactly. Do we just need enough time to pass that 9-11 just becomes a historical event that they're going to start to try and make some representation of it on film? Oh, definitely. They'll try. They will certainly Absolutely. try. <laughs> yeah. How long do you think? Well, one, okay, two questions on that on that vein. How long do you think it'll take till they try? And how long do you think it will take for school children to start to think 9-11 never actually happened. <laughs> well, Rob, some school children already think it didn't happen. That's, that's probably true, right? I guess third question, which we should have started this episode off with. Zach, do you think Pearl Harbor actually happened? <laughs> nope, not real. Do you think World War II actually happened? <laughs> I, I, am a, I am a World War II denier. You know what? Scratch that. I am a world history denier. Ah. I think the world began the day of my birth. Everything else is a simulation created by the Matrix. Uh, okay. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think my one point of disagreement is that uh, the world started when I was born uh, because I was born on the holy day known as Ben Affleck's birthday. <laughs> okay. Fair. Fair. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think we can both agree. The world started 
on Ben Affleck's birthday on and August fifteenth. We don't know which August fifteenth, but one of them. <laughs> I no, I, I mean, I it's I don't know. It's it's a very interesting thing about the nine eleven movie. Like you said, it will happen. I always am interested in thinking about that though. But I guess uh, speaking of truthers for things. Of course, in the modern era, when we think about 9-11, there are those, you know, documentaries, the conspiracy theorists. You mentioned the jet fuel can't melt steel beams. I think what that that conspiracy is that there were, like, explosives in the towers. That's really what was going on there. Something I'm, – I'm not up on all my 9-11 truth or stuff because I, you know, think 9-11 actually happened. Can I is – that is that a bad thing to say, Zach? Am I, like, Whoa, you know, putting myself I out am, there? I am triggered – I'm when I when I saw the rubble in Manhattan and knew people that got out of the towers, I mean, you know, I kind of believe that. I don't think it was all a show. But, Whoa. But, of course, we lived through the modern era of I think the thing became, you know, what, either – well, I think it's been devolved into Bush did 9-11 or caused 9-11. But I think there was some thought of did President Bush know that 9-11 was going to happen? And isn't – weren't there people saying that they there was some conspiracy that they thought – FDR knew Pearl Harbor was going to happen and let it happen so that America could get involved in the war. Have you ever heard this? I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Way. So, so history repeats itself. Of course, would Pearl Harbor the movie been improved by a conspiracy theory subplot? What you're basically trying to say is that we should have gotten like Oliver Stone's JFK out of it. Oh, that's I totally forgot about that. <laughs> there we go. We need to make an Oliver Stone's JFK out of this. Okay, Boom, we did it. Okay, okay. Because we don't get any conspiracy theory part of this. We we get um, John Voight as FDR with this weird, I think it's a prosthetic chin that does not look good, standing out of his wheelchair to go, God damn it, we need to bomb the Japanese. <laughs> Another <laughs> insane is- scene. What line does he have? He's like, they go to him, like, we have a sub commander who's figured this out. He's like, I love sub commanders because they don't take bullshit and neither do I. Yeah, they don't have time for bullshit and neither do I. Yes. Who who says this? Who talks this way? FDR. (laughs) (laughs) That's the, they, because I I did read in the historical inaccuracy that they changed some of the dialogue in in John Voight's Day of Infamy speech. Which, of course, is like a, one of the famous presidential speeches. And I'm pretty sure in the actual uh, Day of Infamy speech, he says, we as Americans don't have time for bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and America collectively went, yeah, we don't have time for bullshit. Let's send six planes to Japan or, or China, <laughs> whatever they go in the Doolittle Riots. Raid, it's, whatever it's, it is. <laughs> I like that, Doolittle Riots. The Doolittle do do Riots. <laughs> No, but that that whole scene in Pearl Harbor where FDR stands out of his wheelchair and says, don't tell me it can't be done, that is like 100% the same scene from uh, the first season of Lost where John Locke screams, don't tell me what I can't do. And it's just so overplayed throughout all of cinematic history. I love it, where it's someone's like, you know, we can't do this or it's a bad idea. And some character makes like this pseudo straw man argument that since they could do something, anything can be done. done. <laughs> seems logical to me, Rob. It seems like bulletproof logic. We will put in a cinemodity production where it'll be something like, you know, maybe we have a character who is convinced that they can fly and they're able to, they're like getting ready to jump off a building and fly off into the sunset. And the other characters are like, no, you can't do this. And the character's like, 
I can open, I can crack an egg with one hand. Don't tell me what I can't do. And then jumps <laughs> off and flies away. I think that's going to be the climax to one of our movies. <laughs> oh, God. Beautiful. This movie, this Beautiful. Movie, Zach. This fucking movie, Zach. <laughs> it's always a disaster, Rob. Like, anything, it's not, I don't, I get, that's the thing. It's weird to look at it. Like, we were talking about the mummy returns and we're like, Oh, look at the scorpion thing. And then you look at the yes. special effects in this and they hold up perfectly. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Good. Uh, there, there's not a lot of pure CGI shots in here. Good blend of the realistic or whatever it is like live action and CGI. It totally holds up. I was totally on board for the, uh, a lot of the attack scene and stuff like that. Um, some of the, the air fights between the planes, I think looked fine, but I couldn't really get a sense of what the hell was going on because they're edited to shit by Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I, yeah, like you said, it all it all holds up for the most part. I mean, I don't even think there was any shots in here. Maybe one or two stood out to me that looked like uh, you could tell they were composited or something like that because you got to get the you have to have everything in every goddamn frame. You know, everybody, people have to be running on the ground and you see all the airplanes and shit blowing up in the background. But I had no issue with any of that. Like, I never thought it looked bad or anything of that along those lines. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the thing. It's just, it's just so odd to think about how something would seem so simple. Um, and that, like, it's just the characters. It's like, how did anybody on set be like, oh, I, I, I don't know. Like, were they not able to discern, like, what made certain things work? That Like, oh, Josh Harnett's not a character. Oh God! I, I really do hate he's that about so, this movie. <laughs> he's not a character. Like he's genuinely not a character. He's like he has yeah. nothing to do. Yep. Other than like a five minute sequence where he quote unquote falls in love with with uh, Kate mm-hmm. Beckinsale, and that's mm-hmm. it. Yep. Yep. I, it's like shit. Like we don't need. We don't need. Like it's weird. Like we don't need all these other characters. Give our main characters like potency when they're on screen. Yes. And cut 30, 30 to 45 minutes out of the film. Yes. <laughs> please. <laughs> We're begging you, <laughs> Michael Bay, please. <laughs> I, I just don't know though. But like even some of the stuff like where it's like, oh god, like this stuff seems like gratuitous. Even like like Ben Affleck, get into that tower, Earl. Get into that tower, yep. Earl. Yep. Hold on. It's, a t- it's like she's a tall bitch. It's ten flights up. Like we don't need that dialogue. Mm-hmm. We Absolutely. don't need that. And it's just like like you just it's superfluous. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. And then all that stuff, like that whole tower scene during the attack, is just like it's so embellished, it's so you know added on. And then all the even all the little moments that just get stretched out to hell, like you said. And then after you know uh, Tom Sizemore and the other gang and the rest of the gang shoot down the uh, the Japanese plane while they're in that tower, we have to cut to Ben Affleck being like, "Good job, guys, you did it. Gold stars for everybody." And there's like three extra sentences just praising them that are totally unnecessary. And it's just like, oh, it's it's so every detail. Like you could take like the editing tool to this, and just it would be so such a pain because you're doing it so frequently with such small moments. But it would get at least twenty minutes out of the movie if you did something like that. But like you can easily compare like moments between characters that are good versus the ones that are unnecessary. And like right stuff like, like all that stuff with the tower and good job, girl. Yeah. Like you don't need that. But like you have that moment very early in the film with Ben Affleck and Alec Baldwin where he's like, "Oh, I was just doing this like what you were doing, sir. Mm-hmm. I want to inspire the men the same way yeah. you inspired me." And he's like, "That's bullshit, Ben Affleck. Absolute bullshit." And there's like a pause and he smiles. He's like, but it's very good bullshit. Like that is a character <laughs> moment. Yes. That yes. creates a dynamic amongst characters and it works like that works. And it's like, 
were they just not incapable of this? Like, not that you can have those moments all the time because if you do, it devalues all of them at, at, at once. Sure, but like, just like if you are gonna have banter, make it worth your while. Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> and it's like, nope, we're gonna have nonsense. It's like fine. You know, you know what's nonsense in this movie, Zach? Since we mentioned, everything? It, we should go back to well, everything. But there's a moment of nonsense <laughs> that I. So you mentioned the the stutter the stuttering character having the issue, like alerting everybody that the attack is happening. I'm I'm surprisingly neutral on that. What really? I hate is the scene of him, the stuttering character, trying to propose. Say, Betty. No, better get up. What's going on, Brad? You gotta stand up, please. What do you mean, get up? Just stand up. (gasps) Betty? Red, come on! We got a dinner reservation. (gasps) Can I get a minute? What's the matter? You sick? Can a guy propose? Oh, oh yeah. my god. I, I, yeah. Shoot me Can in the I head. Just propose? Oh my god. That is legitimately just because this the way it plays in the version I watched, which I can't imagine is different than theatrical, is Kate Beckinsale and Josh Hartnett like they see each other at the movie theater after our, like, three-month time lapse, and they both leave the theater because they don't like seeing images of war in the newsreel before the—with the, uh, the great dictator by Char- from Charlie Chaplin is playing. And so they meet each other outside. They're like, oh, we haven't talked in a while. She's like, oh, I've been avoiding you, blah, blah, blah. They go out to, like, a diner. They're sitting there. They're having their moments. Cut to these fucking C-plot characters that are just going to be in the attack later— talking, spending so much time about like, oh, we're gonna go, we're gonna have a night on the town. The proposal thing happens. It's like a solid four or five minutes that they spend on this, and it is meaningless. It's just a setup that the that the girl's gonna die later on, but I don't care about it because I have no idea who any of these characters are. It is terrible. I, I hated that scene so much. <laughs> but, like, that's the thing, though. Is that, like, we have, like, other female characters. Like, we only focus on, we have, like, the one female nurse that looks like, like Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. And like, yes. and she's featured like a lot in the first like bit, mm-hmm. and then she just completely disappears. And and that's I like think, she's not even at the hospital yes. during the attack. We we say this a good bit. We usually talk about how people disappear from a movie. This is a one hundred percent accurate statement to say she disappears from the movie. She is not in so much of the rest of the movie. Like the last hour, out, no, I think even before the attack, she just disappears. She's in none of her life. Her last scene is like she's giving a tour of the new nurses yes, before yes. the attack, and she's like, and here's the sea wing, which is empty, like every other ward of the hospital, and that's the last we see of her. Because nothing ever, nothing bad could ever happen in Pearl Harbor, and she literally disappears from the movie. I was waiting for her to just pop up like as part of like a group of the nurses that we see somewhere, or because, you know, like we get Jennifer Garner freaking out during the chaotic hospital scene. Um, you know, Kate Beckinsale, of course, is one of our main characters. She becomes like the lead of the hospital. Um, but she, I'm expecting her to, to see her somewhere. That other nurse, nowhere, nowhere in that scene it is the weirdest thing that, you know, it, it's like Michael Bay was like, okay, we're going to spread all this to all these actors so thin. Oh, we literally ran out of stuff for this actress to do. So she's just not in the movie. But it makes you wonder, then why not make the stuff, like, then just focus on three actors. Yep. yep. Focus on blonde nurse, Jennifer Garner nurse, and Kate Beckinsale nurse. 
Absolutely. It would it would make it so much cleaner, so much more straightforward. This movie wouldn't be so goddamn long. But like we said at the start, it's a nobody said no type of thing. Or maybe it's Michael Bay being Michael Bay, and when someone brought this up to him, his response was, go fuck yourself. <laughs> but like this, like another example of just tightening this film is that like they – like. The Ben Affleck and Josh Harnett are going like, are like sleeping in their in the car. Yes. They hear the thing begin. They go to the major airfield. Like everything falls apart. They call Earl, and there's that like why not just skip that and just be like okay like like Danny get me into it like, like what yep. Ben Affleck yep. says what three times he's like Danny get me into a goddamn plane yeah oh, it's yeah. like oh my god and why not is it when Danny says that just be like okay we gotta go to one of the smaller airfields and completely cut out like ten minutes of action sequence we don't need that would make easily so much take sense. <laughs> take five million dollars out of the budget and everybody is happier yes yes exactly <laughs> and nothing like I said because like nothing happens to that action sequence. Like, you already yep. have the attack on, yep. on the ships. You don't need that. Like, you know, you can be like, oh, they've already hit the other battle, uh, the other airstrips. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just too— Because oh, think God, about it. It's... Red, Michael, like, that, the character Red, Michael, Shannon have nothing to do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. during that entire sequence. Red's just there to stutter. Michael Shannon hides under a desk. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. <laughs> that was funny to see Michael Shannon do that, because in this day and age, I don't think of Michael Shannon as timid as an actor or a person or anything. <laughs> I didn't imagine Michael Shannon just yelling at the Japanese zeros being like from that, like what the sorority girl like vid- oh, video. Yes, yes. <laughs> Rebecca! Very you nasally little bitch voices. Very stoically standing in the middle of an airfield with gunfire <laughs> around him, going like, if you ever come to Pearl Harbor again, I will personally make sure you are not on the yearbook committee, whatever the fuck he says in that sorority <laughs> video. You know, I would love that scene. <laughs> if you're reading this right now, saying to yourself, OMG, Becca, I've been having so much fun with my sisters this week. Then punch yourself in the face right now so that I don't have to fucking find you on campus and do it myself. You have 361 days out of the fucking year to talk to sisters, and this week is not. I fucking repeat, not fucking one of them. This week is about fostering relationships in the Greek community, and that's not fucking possible if you're gonna stand around and talk to each other and not our matchup. Newsflash, you stupid fucking cocks! Rats don't like boring sororities. Oh, wait, double fucking newsflash. Sigma Nu is not gonna wanna hang out with us if we fucking suck. Which, by the way, in case you're an idiot and need it spelled out for you, we fucking suck so far. Oh, God, but that's what I mean, though. You could easily just cut all that stuff out. A hundred percent. It it's, it's, like ha- might as well, like, when Tom Sizemore gets that call, it might as well be, it cuts to Tom Sizemore on, like, the military phone saying, I am still in this movie. That is the, that is all it accomplishes. Yeah, yeah exactly. And just, like, you even have the sequence of the one pilot that, like, I can't get off the ground because he's, like, arrogant. It's like, it's like, cut off, Billy, cut off. You're never going to make it. Yep. I will, I will. And it's like, you don't need that. Like, Josh Harnett and Ben Affleck are the only important characters in this movie. Give that dramatic tension to them yep. and have them succeed. It's like, you don't need, like, there's no tension with a character we don't care about. 
I agree. I agree completely. And I maybe Michael Bay was going for taking this idea of this tragedy. There was a you know so many lives lost. I think it's. I think I looked it up. I didn't write it down though. I think it's like twenty four hundred people died in Pearl Harbor, and it's fine. Rob, you're wrong. The movie said three thousand. The movie wrong. did say three thousand. <laughs> okay, so the movie. You're wrong. You're <laughs> wrong, Rob. Ben, my, ben Affleck would say Ben Affleck would never lie to us. Ben Affleck would never lie to us. But but it's like I, maybe Michael Bay is going for. Oh, we have all these like all these people have their own story and yes that's true that's just the fucking conceit of life is to realize that every person has their own story but we can still feel connected to this being a grand loss of life and a grand human tragedy even if we're focusing on these main characters that's what goddamn titanic did and we were fine with that. Just you, and he even tries to have it like every single way. We try to have the romance and focus on that. We try to show all these characters that have you know get, that get hurt or lose someone in the actual attack. And then it happens again at the end of the movie where we get the narration where it's like there are still this many people trapped underwater, you know, at the uh, in the USS Arizona or whatever it is. And I'm like, I get it. I understand. <laughs> That's what I mean. Though. Everything is just so high cackney. Like even the like like super duper epilogue where we see him like raising Danny's kid. Yes, it's just that, like oh man, he's teaching him how to fly just like him and Danny, and the kid looks just like Danny. It's like did did we did we really need that? Like we just couldn't just have the Kate Beckinsale epilogue. Exactly, exactly. That's that's like I said. We either we either take that out or we put it in, and Kate Beckinsale has eight different men raising that child. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Like if historical inaccuracy doesn't mean anything to Michael Bay, why not just put Kate Beckinsale and Cuba Gooding Jr. on the Doolittle raid? Like just have them do it. Have them flying the plane. <laughs> like if yeah, you don't care about historical accuracy, just do that. Have fun with it then. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Maybe maybe that's the the fix when, when Ben Affleck comes back from the Doolittle raid. Like I said earlier, Kate Beckinsale should have another man that she's fallen in love with. The other man is Cuba Gooding Jr. That would have worked. I would have been okay with that. <laughs> like that's what I mean though. So like I just don't get it. Like it's it's just like why like they also have like they make a big point of having Alec Baldwin going on the raid with them. Yes. yes. And it's like then why not have Alec Baldwin with Ben Affleck? And then have like all I didn't have Josh Hartnett and all the other like secondary and tertiary characters on that plane that saved them at the end. Mm-hmm. Like Alec Baldwin just disappears. Yeah, like, like, and then he pops up on the plane revealing he's alive for no reason at the end. Yeah, and that's it. It's just that like okay, like it make him part of it. Like keep it concentrated and make it more potent. Yep. yep. And say nope, nope. We keep everything spread out just because we can. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just because we can. That yeah, absolutely. Can oh, we – real quick, can we please talk about the very like just like awkward like moments of like unintentional or maybe intentional comedy in this where sure. like when we have Red like stuttering coming out of the bathroom mm-hmm, and it's like mm-hmm. – and that's clearly meant to be a comedic moment. Yes. Yet oh, it's yeah. so out of place considering everything that's happening in the film. Yeah, the the comedic beats make perfect sense in like the first part of the movie where we have that romance. Like I'm thinking of the thing where – um. What they they're they're going all the soldiers are going out on the town and they're like listen put what is it like clove oil under your eyes it'll make your eyes seem like you're crying you can get the ladies and the comedic beat is that the guy like can't fucking handle the clove oil or whatever it is that's fine at the beginning that is totally fine the attack is happening boats are getting blown up shit's going wrong stuttering character has to try and have a comedic beat that is so strange to me 
And it's like, it's not that it's not set up or anything, but it's so... Because they could have just as easily had any character been like, the Japs are coming, and then boom, just continue on. But why slow down the action that's finally happening with something so frustrating? It's jarring. It's yes. jarring and it's inappropriate. Absolutely. And on top of that, you have the other moment too with the guy who's screaming, get that 50 cow. Get the 50 and we cow, see him yep. And, and the torpedo like ricochets off the airfield and it's still like spinning a propeller. He's like – everyone's like, run, Billy, run. And he's like staring at it. He's like, it's a god. Yes. And then it blows up. I'm like, are we supposed to laugh at this? Are we supposed to laugh at somebody dying because they misinterpreted – something happening mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I, I just like I, it's just like how on earth did the producers and the studio executives for a 200 million dollar film just look at that and be like oh my god yeah how is he that how is he that stupid <laughs> like I, I, how is he be like just like cut that sh- like how did somebody not tell jerry bruckheimer and michael bay cut that out like that is you're embarrassing us yes yes 100 percent oh god Oh my god, it's crazy! Like this is a t- like much how we talked about like in Meet Joe Black, how like how on earth did this not ruin like like Brad Pitt's career? Yeah, yeah. I have to look at this and like ask a similar yet slightly different question. How was it that after this was released, like Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer weren't embarrassed by this? That's a that's a good question, and I have no goddamn idea, because not only are the things that we are mentioning now in this movie that have this sense of embarrassment, but like we said at the start, as soon as this movie comes out, and I would say its lasting legacy, or maybe part of a very big part of its lasting legacy, is that it is wildly historically inaccurate. This should just be, on paper, the most embarrassing film. <laughs> I think it is. I don't think it's the most embarrassing, but like on this sort of scale and considering the talent involved, yes, it, 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 it more is than not. Yeah, it's it's insane. <laughs> but like, but but it just it, it's like inexplicable almost. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And to reference to add to this, the joke I made earlier, it's embarrassing that this movie also includes an ad for Snow Dogs. Another embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I I just. I, I I don't know. No, like don't, even yeah. like like and then even like leading up to the attack, we're having like we're cutting between like oh all the Japanese zeros like flying through like the islands, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then we ha- can we see like the kids playing baseball. We see the woman hanging out her laundry. Yep. We have the like what the military people playing golf. We have Washington trying to decode the message real quick, mm-hmm. and it's a, like it's not tension. It's a faded calm play as to what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Is it like like, like you if you want like if you were in film school and you wanted to show like you know something's going to happen and yet how to do it right versus not like juxtapose this sequence that sequence or sequences I just mentioned from Pearl Harbor with Titanic where you have the iceberg about to be hit and you have the officers trying to figure out how to do it. Every time you watch that sequence, you know what's going to happen. Yet as you're watching it, the film is convincing you that there actually might be an other alternative than what you know is going to happen. Yeah, to to reference, like I said, my favorite line from this movie, Pearl Harbor does not achieve surprise. Somehow (laughs) Titanic achieves surprise. It's it's the same thing with the – if you have a good sports movie where the team – it's clear the team has to win the big game at the end. The good ones are the one that make you think they might not win the big game at the end. Mm-hmm. They achieve surprise. And this movie, like I said, that whole first 80 minutes, they're making all these little nods to nothing bad can happen at Pearl Harbor. And I'm like, 
No. I'm like, I know what I'm watching. <laughs> but this is my question, though. When they were trying to emulate Titanic, what were they emulating? Were they emulating the Leonardo DiCaprio aspect of it, of 14-year-old girls brought this to a billion dollars because they liked him? Or because of the dramatic uh, artist or the artistly crafted story? I think they were just trying to do the emotional stuff. I think that's it. The Leo aspect that you said. That's got to be it. I think there's so that has much to be else it, they right? mi- Yeah, because they missed. It's, it's, I, I, the other aspects of it, I don't think they missed. I think they physically or they, they seriously did not try to emulate those. Like, I don't think it's a failure. I think it's that they just ignored those things. And they put yeah. it's so like, it's like, many chips on intro? that romance. Yeah. But, like, it's just, like, like boring. Like, there's nothing, yes, like, yes. it's just boring. <laughs> like, you got, I, I have everybody in this movie, the person that's at least trying the most and succeeds is Kate Beckinsale. Oh, yeah, yeah. She is She's surprisingly at least trying. fine she in this movie. Yes. Yes. I mean, Michael Bay gives her terrible, terrible shots to work with. Like, I'm thinking of the one when Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett show up at the hospital and ask her, like, how can we help? Her establishing shot is that she is, like, carrying like six different like IV stands with the blood and and she looks so defeated she looks almost like Jesus on the cross and I'm like god damn it oh yeah yeah I know that is Michael Bay just telling her what to do in that scene and so she gets shit to work with but she's surprisingly fine in this movie Like, can I we mean, even say Josh it's not Hartnett her fault bad. that she wants to have sex with everyone in the goddamn world. Like, that is the script's fault. But she's handling that fairly well. <laughs> like, can we even blame Josh Hartnett? Can we blame him? No, no, because he has nothing to do. And, I, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I've never been a big fan of Josh Hartnett. I actually like the movie 30 Days of Night. I don't think he's the best part of it, but he's fine in it. He has stuff to do, though. In this movie, he has nothing to do, but at least he does it without me going, oh my god, I hate this. I hate the script. I hate the direction that he's not a character. I don't have any problem with him in this movie. It's a weird It's a weird dynamic that this movie has, or weird feelings this movie has arisen in me, Zach. <laughs> but who's the, okay, so who's the culprit then? Is it Michael Bay, the studio, or Jerry Bruckheimer? I think it's it's Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer because I think we can agree or have a, we can agree and as we said that it seems like the studio did not rein them in in the slightest. Of course, as as we mentioned before, and you can read about, there are a lot of behind the scenes like issues or there were a lot of behind the scenes issues with Michael Bay fighting about budget. And I think like the story goes is that there are a few times Michael Bay would like threaten to walk off the film. But I think that just illustrates the fact that, you know, it was it was Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer just being like, oh, my God, we can do this. I'm sure they got the script. I think it was written by someone named Randall Wallace, so they didn't have anything in it, anything to do with the script. But I think they got this script and were like, let's punch this up to the maximum. Let's Titanicify it. Let's James Cameronify it. And let's make sure we do everything all the way to the nines. And nobody said no. And it got spread too thin, and it became a nightmare. <laughs> and I guess no one involved. But that, that's the thing that was like, like, did anybody read this script, or was it just simply like on paper they were being sold it, sold to it as like the next Titanic? I think it had to be that. I think that you know Michael Bay, uh, like I like I kind of was just getting at you know they they got this script or found this script from Randall Wallace and went oh like this is it this is a tragedy that enough time has passed for. We can, like, you know, put the empathetic human emotion story in this and go for what James Cameron went for. I, I, yeah. Like I said, I don't know, though. I just don't know how anybody could have, like, like a studio executive, considering how studio execs love to meddle 
they were hands off on something like this. Yeah, yeah, because that's maybe that's another thing to think about with this. What did Michael Bay? He's done a, a good bit of movies, like we mentioned Armageddon. What else is before The Rock, the Bad Boys, the Rock. The and Rock. Bad Boys Too, The Rock? This, this yeah. is this was kind of the turning point for him into like just being like a schlock director, where it's just like he does whatever he wants and he doesn't care. Yes. Oh, Bad Boys Two is after this. Okay, so it's it's Bad Boys, The Rock, and Armageddon are before this. And then he just goes balls to the wall with big, big. I just don't care. Yeah, yeah. But like that's the weird thing though. Like if you look at his filmography, it's weird that like he he has misses. Like he's not like one of these people. Like he's not like a Jimmy C where he can just be like, okay, yeah, I've Mm -hmm. never had a flop. I can do whatever I want. Like who are you to question? Like I have the two highest grossing films of all time. Yeah, exactly. Nobody. I, I am beyond reproach. Michael Bay. Like you look at him and you look at his like directing career. And like I said, going back to like, okay, like he did a bunch of music videos. His first real big one was Bad Boys, unexpected hit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Next year, The Rock, another unexpected hit. Armageddon, yep. this is where it starts to devolve into stupidity. It's still very, very successful. Space dementia. <laughs> yes. Pearl Harbor, where it's like, okay, stupidity is here. Bad Boys 2, where it's like, okay, at least there's – it's redeemable. There are some redeemable elements. The Island is his first genuine bomb yes. with Ewan McDonald and Scarlett Johansson. Yep. Then he rebounds with Transformers, which everybody admits is incomprehensible. He played <laughs> yeah. successful beyond anyone's dreams. Revenge of the Fallen Moon, incomprehensible but successful beyond anyone's wildest dreams. Dark of the Moon, incomprehensible but once again beyond anyone's wildest dreams. Yes. He takes a step back with Pain and Gain which is considered another abhorrent film, mm-hmm. but it, it costs nothing to make, so nobody cares. Very interesting do- movie, like I said at the start. I find that movie very interesting. <laughs> then you have Age of Extension, incomprehensible, yet successful beyond anyone's wildest dreams. <laughs> the film actually stops dead in its tracks to explain oh, yeah. an underage romance. Oh, yeah. It doesn't – I've never seen it, but I know you've told me and I've looked into it. I'm pretty sure in that moment when that when it stops in its tracks to explain the, the Romeo and Juliet laws, which I think even at the time of that movie coming out are fairly archaic in the United States. Yes. The, the way it's shown and explained is that the character has like the laminated card. Yeah, illustrated. Does, God, yeah. that is fucking batshit Inst- crazy. Insane. <laughs> the movie – instead of just saying like, OK, we cast a 16-year-old but she's playing an 18-year-old. Mark Wahlberg goes, you are 21. My daughter is 16. You, what you are doing is illegal. The The boyfriend character whips out a like three by five car and says, we started dating when I was underage. Thus, it is legal. And the movie just carries on from there. <laughs> How old are you? 20. She's a 17 year old girl. So we can work this two ways. One, I punch you right in the mouth and you call the police on me. Or two, I just call the cops on you because this is illegal. She's a minor. We're protected by the Romeo and Juliet laws. We dated for a little while. I was a sophomore and he was a senior. It's fine. No, it's not fine. We've got a pre-existing juvenile foundation relationship. Statute 2705-3. What? Texas statute? Is that a real law? Yep. Romeo and Juliet, huh? You know how those two ended up? Love. Dead. Do your parents know about this? Is your dad okay with you dating a 17-year-old girl? He took off when I was five, but if I ever bump into him, I'll ask him. 
Why do you need that unless you are weirdly turned on by the fact that there are laws that allow adults to have sex with, with children? Sure, sure. It's a, it's a, it's insane. It really is like, insane. It is. It's insane. Then you have the Benghazi movie, which I ha- I've seen, and it's not very good. Okay. And then you have Transformers: The Last Night, which was the first time one of those movies bombed. Is that which is the one? Doesn't isn't there one where like Optimus Prime, Optimus Prime, Optimus Prime fights God or something like that? Yes. No. The fourth movie ends with him going off to kill God. <laughs> Which is one of the funniest things ever. <laughs> that is how that movie ends. He goes off to kill God. <laughs> Which is funny. <laughs> Which is how every movie should end. It. Like, in all honesty, I'll give credit where credit is due. If every movie ends with the protagonist going off to kill God, I am on board with it. I am so uh, with you there. I am 100% with you there. <laughs> Can I please make a note in the spreadsheet that for the fourth year anniversary, we have a segment where we we find films we've discussed that should end with the main character going off to kill God. Yes, a hundred percent. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, that movie. Okay, in like in the last, I saw. Okay, one of my biggest cinematic. Like, I've had a couple of cinematic regrets. I think I've talked about them on the podcast. One of them is not seeing Borat in theaters. Yes. Another one is not seeing The Departed in theaters. Yes. Tron Legacy. One of my biggest regrets of all time is choosing to see Transformers, the Transformers, the last night in theaters over the book of Hank. Mm, fair, fair. I, now One of my the biggest Mac regrets. The Departed should end with Mark Wahlberg going to kill God. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it should end with that rat in the final scene going to kill God. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, like, his last movie was, like, a Netflix, like, dump. Yeah, which I, I know I know it's called, what's, it's got the number in it, right? Something. Six, yeah. I think six. It's just called six. Yeah. Uh, it's the inversion of that movie nine. Uh, but it, yeah, Netflix. I don't know anything about it. I do know Zach because when I was researching this last night, that he has an upcoming or a movie that he is in working on called Robopocalypse. That's an, like that was that's been literally that movie has happened like literally with everybody. Everybody's been attached oh, okay, to that movie okay, at some okay. point. I, I was I was looking at that. I didn't really look into what Robopocalypse is because I think one you don't need to. But if you asked Michael Bay be like Robopocalypse, why? His response would be go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like I said I don't think I like a single Michael Bay movie. Pain and Gain is interesting. Because I don't like any of the Transformers. It's, it's, it's odd. I've it's never odd. seen the the because it's crazy that they it's once again pain and gain. Um, well, I think we can say for certain three of his movies are based on real life events: Pearl Harbor, Pain and Gain, and the first Transformers. The first Transformers totally happened, <laughs> but Pain and Gain takes a real life like you know criminal thing, like the kidnapping of whoever Tony Shalhoub's character is, and plays it for laughs. Yeah. Like, there is extended montage of them torturing Tony Shalhoub, and it is played as a slapstick comedy. And it is so fundamentally interesting to me that I cannot look away. <laughs> Fun fact, the Divinal song, I Touch Myself, Michael Bay directed that video. Ooh, nice, nice. <laughs> Who would have thunk? Yeah, so Michael Bay, I don't know what you're doing. You're clearing checks, so we do know what he's doing. He's clearing checks. That's That's it, that's it. Yeah, he didn't direct Bad Boys for Life. No, that was directed by like a team of like two people, I think. Yeah, I saw yeah, two people. Which the only Bad Boys movie I haven't seen and hope I never see. <laughs> Goddamn Michael Bay. But yeah, I mean, maybe who knows what he's doing these days? Did people start to tell him no eventually? I, I don't know. But what happened? What, well, problem is like he finally ran out of clout. Like what happened yes. was like. The Transformers movies were like critical dumpster fires. Yes. But like they made a fortune, so everybody left him alone. 
And then he cat and like a thing. He was also he also made his home at Paramount. Yeah, oh, he was making yeah. Paramount a small fortune with every single one of these Transformer movies. They get Pain and Gain was basically a pat on the head, and then like like uh, Age of Extinction comes out and he makes them another fortune. Mm-hmm. So they give him the Benghazi movie, which think about for a movie studio to make a film like that is a huge hit to just like you just like you just do not add any credibility to the Benghazi story yeah, at yeah. all. And then that like barely makes any money. Like I think it barely recoups its budget. Okay. Um. Yeah. Budget fifty five million. Worldwide gross seventy. So it most likely mm. lost money. Jeez. Um. And then you have Transformers: The Last Night, which was always a guaranteed billion dollar like worldwide gross. Yep. And it only makes like six hundred million dollars. And it's like, oh crap! His like cachet just went out the window. Yeah. 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 Budget two hundred and seventeen million, and worldwide gross six hundred five. I was about to say, do you think Michael Bay will make another Transformers movie? And then I realized oh, no. we already answered this question. Yeah. It's yes. It's called Robopocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> but look, just look at this, though. Like, Transformers 5 makes $605 million, Okay. Yet Transformers 4 makes $1.1 billion. Jeez, wow. That is, ha- that is a half a billion dollar loss yep. from, like, from one entry to the next. Yep, that's, that's crazy for sure. Like, like, and that's what happens. Like, he can't, he can't do this anymore. So he can't just do like he lost his cachet. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. And he's and, and that's the thing. Parent plus Paramount's like another one. Like out of all the major studios, is the one closest to bankruptcy because they just <laughs> they have no franchises. Like their only franchise, I think, is Mission Impossible. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, yeah. That's their only franchise. And like they tried like what's the word rebooting Top Gun, and that got delayed like indefinitely. Yep. yep. Oh yeah. So I mean... they have nothing. Well, Zach, they, they can't have, afford to keep they have him Paramount Plus, the streaming service. <laughs> no, Rob, it's not Paramount Plus. It's Paramount Go. It's HBO <laughs> Plus and Disney Go. <laughs> Every streaming like service that. is going to be called Insert Not to Name Plus. So you have Disney Plus, HBO Plus, Paramount Plus, Sony Plus, uh, Netflix Plus, Hulu Plus. Um, what else is there? Crackle Plus, um, YouTube Plus, Quibi Plus, Quibi Plus, <laughs> TikTok Plus, T- yes, Gas Station TV Plus, <laughs> Maria Menounos Plus. Oh, okay, you can. I would totally get a month of Maria Menounos Plus. Okay, <laughs> I would be so about that. Be like, what? Like, I would tell this to somebody, and they'd be like, "Well, what? What's on there? Nothing. <laughs> There's literally <laughs> no content on Maria Menounos Plus. Why are you paying for it?" And it's like. <laughs> Dude, if you have to ask me that question, we should not be friends. <laughs> Delightful. Yeah, I mean, I'm sh- like, uh, IFC Plus probably exists. Oh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure AMC Plus does exist. I think it, it is AMC Plus. I don't know if you mentioned that one because we've rattled so Peacock, many fucking names. Peacock Plus. <laughs> oh my god, it's insane. It's insane. CBS All Access Plus. <laughs> ESPN Plus. Discovery Plus. National Geographic Plus. Uh, Marvel Plus. Yeah, Marvel, Marvel The Simpsons Plus. <laughs> do you Harry think that's Potter the next Plus. Yeah, you think that's the next step that it's not streaming services with different franchises on it? There is just a streaming service for that franchise called that franchise plus. Like like you said, Harry Potter Plus, Marvel Plus. Oh god. The, the Hunger Games Plus. Divergent Plus. Uh, Twilight Plus. Oh my god. I Twelve love Years it. a Slave Plus. Twilight Zone Plus. <laughs> I, I probably would. Oh, you hear that got canceled? Did you hear that got, I got canceled? It did? No! Yes, no! It got canceled. I need more to complain about. I needed a third. 
Oh, no, we're never going to get a sequel to the octopus hacking computer. No, Zach, no. I'm so upset. I honestly did not hear this. I'm so upset. I How will Jordan Peele ever su- oh survive? God. Okay, well, I guess then that's fair that the 20th episode of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone is the best one. It ended on a high note. <laughs> Jordan Peele Plus. Get out, plus. Jordan Peele Plus. Key and Peel Plus. Yes, yes, absolutely. Jesus Christ. The Rock Plus. People would buy that. The Rock that. Plus. People would totally buy that. buy that. YouTube Plus. Jesus. Did we say that already? I, I have no idea. Facebook Plus. Twitter Plus. I feel like I'm going to, when I'm editing this, I will be like, oh my God, we said the same thing over and over for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Wonder Woman Plus. Yep, there you go. There you, Batman Plus, Superman Plus. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus plus. Jesus plus. That there you go. That is the Christian streaming service. Jesus plus. Mhm. There you go. We oh, figured it out, Rob. <laughs> we figured it out. We figured yeah. out the universe. Spido- Spot Spotify plus. Spotify title plus. plus. Yes. Ooh, title plus, yeah. That do you think that's actually how because I know I, I don't know if it's over, but like Title has been in a lawsuit for a while. I don't like I said, I don't know if it's over. Do you think the way that Title and Jay Z get out of their lawsuit is by just ending Title and then immediately starting <laughs> Title Plus? It. Yes. Be like, hey, it. it's not us. You sued Title. This is Title Plus. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay, two <laughs> I'm laughing so much I'm coughing. To finish this crazy tangent, we have to say the the end all final plus cinemodities plus, right? Oh, there we go. That, that's your, that's what the that's, Patreon should be called. That's the way to end it. Cinemodities plus. Yeah. The Patreon technically doesn't have a name. I mean, it's just like cinemodities on Patreon. So I guess we should, it should just be call called it cinemodities plus. plus. Okay, perfect. We got it. We got it. We figured it out. Cinemodities plus. That's great. Knights of, Vader, Knights of Vader minus. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Why is it called minus? Because there's only an episode every four months now. <laughs> <sighs> I hate everything, Rob. <laughs> I think uh, I think we we finally found the movie Pearl Harbor to broke break us. us. Yeah, that's what, yeah, exactly. We're on the same page. We it took it us three us. years. We we somehow survived the goddamn dinosaur movies. We survived Doctor Sleep. It took Pearl Harbor to make us lose our minds in real time. <laughs> is this, our, this is our first Michael Bay film. That's yeah. kind of shocking yeah. when you think about it. Yeah, it took and it, three plus years. We should have seen it coming. We should have been like, do we want to do Michael Bay now, or want to get at least another year of the podcast out? <laughs> I don't even know. I don't think there's honestly a single Michael Bay film I want to talk. Like if we did an amalgamation, amalg- yeah, amalgamation, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Um, of like his entire filmography, like kind of like David Fincher, I think that would be fine. But I cannot yes. imagine talking about like any one particular movie like this again. No, I've, I've thought about that. And the only reason any of them would come up would be like pain and gain. Pain and, no, I well maybe pain and gain because it's interesting. But I was thinking Armageddon for Ben Affleck's birthday one year. Oh, okay. But there's so much to cover with Ben Affleck before we get to Armageddon that, that would <laughs> yeah, take paycheck. forever. So we'll paycheck. <laughs> Yo, paycheck. That movie's crazy. We'll do that one day, Zach. <laughs> Paycheck is so stupid. It is. That's why I love it, though. It's the dumbest I hate that fucking movie. thing. The, I hate the it. start of the third act is they get to the machine that they're like, we need to destroy because using this machine is going to cause the world to end. And they get there and they're ready to destroy it. And then for no reason they go, oh, we should use the machine. <laughs> 
the machine is a lens with a curvature that is so crazy it lets them see through time. That is the dumbest thing you could possibly think up. Not put in a movie, to think up. Because it's like, oh, you know, somebody has bad eyesight, so what is the lenses and glasses? It's lenses with such a curvature and such a thickness that it'll, it distorts the light so that the person can see. What if the lens was had such a curvature you could see through time? That's Paycheck. We gotta cover <laughs> Paycheck. <laughs> that movie's fucking insane. Aaron Eckhart has terrible hair in that movie. <laughs> Why is it Ben Affleck in this picking horrible movies? Like, 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 like th- th- is he drawn to it? I like, mean, I that... think the, I think the, uh, the unfortunate true answer is rampant alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> Very unfortunately, that might be the true answer. Isn't like it's what you got like Ben Affleck and a slew, uh, not a slew, but a few other actors where there's some movies in their career that they'll just be like, yeah, I don't remember making that because they were so oh, like, drunk. Like, like Colin Farrell in Miami Vice. Yes, Colin just, like, Farrell is one of them. The absolutely. Colin Farrell is just like, you know, I, he's like, I, I know I've seen that interview or, or read about it where someone's like, Miami Vice, you know, and they ask him questions about Jamie Foxx because Jamie Foxx was a nightmare on that set. And Colin Farrell is like, listen, I'm not trying to be a dick or anything. I legitimately don't remember making that movie at all. <laughs> and I'm like, that's pretty intense, Colin Farrell. But yeah, I, I mean, because after Ben Affleck gets clean and sober, then he starts doing his directing and stuff like that. Well, not starts doing, but that's when his directing starts to pick up and you get like the town in Argo, right? And Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby Gone, yeah. And then, uh, but so yeah, I mean, I think in, in these terrible movies Ben Affleck was in, you know, maybe if you talk to Ben Affleck where you're like, Ben Affleck, what happened with Gigli? And he was like, I was so drunk, I let Martin Brest talk me into something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, it's crazy. I I have to say, while we were talking about Ben Affleck, I I, I popped open his uh his uh, his Wikipedia page, and my eye was immediately drawn to August fifteenth. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I instinctively sought out. <laughs> Rob, I want you to take a picture of Ben Affleck with his like holding out his jacket, and you see his like like from the premiere of Pearl Harbor, and make that his like main like picture on Wikipedia. <laughs> make that his image for everything. Yes. Like just like everywhere that he has to be shown, you know, just like his like all his profile pictures, just put that image. <laughs> but I wonder how Wikipedia decide like what the main profile picture will be. Oh like, yeah, I have main, no like, clue how that works. Like, because... like what is that? Like what's the science behind that? Yeah, I don't know because some some people have terrible ones like where they don't look flattering or anything but then other people like you will go to a wikipedia some wikipedia pages for a single person and their main picture will be a picture of two or more people and i'm like that is the worst possible thing i've definitely had the case where i will like go to somebody's wikipedia page and the picture will be of a group of people and i'll go i don't know which one is the person i'm trying to find information about (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i don't know how that works either i mean i can only hope hope that like nick nolte's wikipedia page is his mugshot i could only only hope hope that's the case (laughs) but yeah i don't i don't know i don't know zach like we said this movie made us lose our lose our mind (laughs) all right rob is there anything else we can say about this movie okay there there is one thing about this movie that i wanted to mention uh it's the closest thing that we have in this movie to what i would consider a jump scare i don't know if you noticed this but okay so we've already discussed i think I think the audience gets the general gist of this movie. Pearl Harbor happens, and then they retaliate. 
In the scene where Josh Hartnett and Ben Affleck go to their new assignment for the Doolittle Raid, and they meet up with Alec Baldwin again, and I physically say out loud, Oh yeah, Adam Baldwin's in, Alec Baldwin's in this movie. There is the whole interaction where Alec Baldwin promotes them to captain, and then he's like explaining to them that they're going to go on this mission. And we get this interaction... Of the two of them standing at attention, you know, Alec Baldwin, of course, is the, the authority figure, you know, like, moving around the room. And there's a part in this conversation where Alec Baldwin is looking out of a window, talking to them about this mission. And, you know, it's, it's going back and forth. We're getting this, like, shot-reverse-shot type thing. And then there is an edit to when Alec Baldwin says, do you know what a top-secret mission is, or something along those lines. And Ben Affleck, of course, responds, you know, it's the kind of mission you don't come back from, or something like that. But when it cuts to Alec Baldwin saying, do you know what a top secret mission is? It doesn't technically break the 180 degree rule, but it has Alec Baldwin filmed from his right side looking to the right, which the camera has already established is not where Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett are standing. I don't know if you picked up on this, Zach, but literally when it happened, I yelped. Like, I was like, oh, like, I was like, oh, I was like, I literally did not know what was going on. It looks so bad. It is so disorienting because it is, like I said, it technically is not breaking the 180 degree rule, but in essence it is because it is fundamentally disorienting the placement of characters in that scene. And I, like I said, I'm not sugarcoating this. I'm not like making it up. I yelped when this happened because it took me by surprise. Did this stand out to you at all, Zach? (laughs) I know what you're talking about, but no. Okay. <clears throat> I did okay. not uh, pick up on that. I, I, it, like I said, it's the closest thing we have to a jump scare in this movie. <laughs> because I was like, who is that Alec Baldwin talking to? And then it doesn't really, it doesn't really go anywhere. But that was uh, something I definitely wanted to point out. And I guess now that I've, as we've been talking, I look through all my notes and stuff. I do want to say, I think I do have a favorite part of the movie. I did enjoy the montage of the pilots before the Doolittle Raid learning how to take off with only, like, the 467 feet of landing strip. That was fun to me. Was it a moment of Stockholm Syndrome by that point in the movie at, like, the 2-hour and 20-minute mark with 40 minutes left to go? Quite possibly. But I enjoyed that montage. <laughs> Fair. Fair. It's, it's a doozy. What, what other way to say that about this movie than it's a doozy? <laughs> Boy, is it ever. Boy, is it ever. I think before we get to our questions, and if you have anything else about this movie, Zach, there is something that I wanted to mention, um, because like I said already, I'm not a big like world history buff, World War II, World War I, anything like that. But I do know a, an interesting World War II fact that I think doesn't come up in this movie, but I always find uh, like interesting, and maybe this will help somebody if they're ever like a trivia, and this question, a question about this ever gets asked. But I do like the, the part of this movie where I mentioned earlier, you know, all the American generals and stuff or officers are like, you know, we don't have to worry about X, Y, Z because Pearl Harbor is, you know, literally chosen by God to never have anything bad happen to it. That's how this movie plays it. And it cuts to, you know, the Japanese putting the, like, wooden rudder or whatever on their torpedoes that are going to let it work. So the question that could get asked one day, if it ever pops up, is were there any World War II casualties on mainland American soil? And I feel like most people would say no, because, of course, Pearl Harbor was not mainland U.S., it was Hawaii, all that stuff. Like, were there ever any deaths on the mainland of U.S. soil? And the answer is actually yes, that during World War II, five people died 
in like on mainland America, and it was in Lakeview, Oregon, when a school teacher and some children were out, like, I don't know what the hell they were doing, but they found something in the woods that they had no idea what it was, and when they messed with it, it exploded and killed them. It is the only known fatalities in the continental United States during World War II, and it was on May 5th, 1945. And so the, the, the whole thing is, to answer your trivia question, the answer is yes. Like, civilians died during World War II in mainland U.S. But it turns out that what they died from was a Japanese balloon loaded with bombs that had made its way over to the U.S. And the interesting part of the story is that during World War II, the United States had no concerns about anybody, like, bombing mainland U.S. because they had, you know, their plane defense systems and all this stuff. And the question in World War II, or near the end of World War II, how the hell did the Japanese get a bomb to Portland or, or somewhere around Oregon, Lakeview, Oregon, because there, the technology time, everyone was convinced there is no way they could have gotten one from Japan all the way across the ocean to continental United States. And this is literally how the entire species of humanity found out that the jet stream exists in upper atmosphere, that the <laughs> Japanese found out that the jet stream exists and could transfer a balloon bomb that quickly to United States, uh, continental United States. It's a very interesting story that I'm very upset because in my notes, I wrote in all caps, look up deaths that happened on U.S. soil because I knew about this, and I want to do more research before this recording, and I totally forgot to do it. But God everybody it, check it out. It's very, very interesting. It's a really cool story, and if anybody ever asks you, you know, are there mainland fatalities during World War II, the answer is yes, and unfortunately, it was a woman and, like, five little kids, which is a bummer. But... That's my fun fact for World War II that I know, <laughs> and it involves. Rob, I, have to, I have to ask Rob: Did you learn that from an episode of Mysteries at the Museum? I did. <laughs> of course, God damn it! That's how I found out about it, and I did a bunch of research afterwards because that was I was that was one of those Mysteries Museum segments where I was God like, "That's really it, cool! I got to figure out more about the story." And that Rob, is exactly how it, it that literally sounded like. I could literally hear like the commercial break with Don Wells. <laughs> like I could, or not Don Wells, Don Wildman. Is. Don Wiles and Don Wells is the guy from Real Scary Stories. <laughs> but yes, that's how it started, and God I did all my it, research. Rob. It's a good Don't story. He's so freaking transparent, Rob. He's so freaking transparent. It's fine. I mean, it's fine. I got to learn it's about not. things. So it's not like I just had a, a, a like a like a you know some fucking like angel came down to me and gifted this story to me. I had to find <laughs> out about it somewhere. <laughs> it's not like I had a Joan of Arc premonition that told me about a World War II fact. That would be cool. I should have set it up that way. That I had St. Michael visit no. me in my sleep. Oh, my God, Rob. You and your freaking – oh, God. You and your – they still make episodes of that or is that defunct now? I think it might be defunct, but I think if they do make episodes, they do those weird like, oh, like, like feature-length specials yeah. that are like all about like, you know – Something specific? Yeah. Like I know there's one that they're like, this is going to be all the weird shit about Alcatraz. And I'm like, I can't give two fucks about Alcatraz. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, everybody check it out. Civilian deaths on mainland U.S. Maybe you'll find the... Uh, how about this? I will insert the entirety of the Mysteries at the Museum clip about that here, including commercial break. <laughs> at the Coos Historical and Maritime Museum, some 50,000 artifacts chronicle this area's turbulent history. But deep within the museum's archives, there is a peculiar object that arrived not from the sea, but from the air. 
17 pounds and nearly two feet in diameter, this corroding metal ring might be mistaken for scrap from a nearby farm. But the ring was part of a secret weapon designed to bring death and destruction on America's shores. And when it was finally exposed, it led investigators to a startling new discovery that would change the world forever. Why was this ring sent here? What incredible secrets does it hold? And how did it cause the only deaths resulting from enemy action to occur on mainland America during World War II? Oh my God, what the hell is this? You, Travel Channel has a streaming thing? What the oh, hell? Oh, Travel Channel Plus. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Wait, is it Travel Channel Plus or Travel Plus? Or it's Destination TRVL. Plus? It's TRVL. Mysteries of Halloween. Plus. Whoa. <laughs> Sold. Yeah, get that. Okay, start your free trial. <laughs> oh, it's Discovery Plus. That's what it is. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Sure, sure. I think I only four ninety nine a month. Oh, that's I mean lower than other things. So, what content's on all... there? No content. Uh, <laughs> Guy Fieri. Watch Watch a garden troll eat garbage throughout America. <laughs> You had me at Garden Troll. <laughs> <laughs> Who on earth would ever sign up for this? Oh man! Know. Oh wait, four ninety nine is for ads. You get ads for four ninety nine. Oh, for six ninety nine, you get ad free. Boo! I also like that the way you said that. Now that we know more about streaming services in this modern era, it's totally clear what you meant. But I like saying you said it's four ninety nine for ads. It comes across as out of context. You pay four ninety nine a month to just see advertisements. <laughs> <laughs> I pay for my commercials. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think I have... There, I mean, there's so much goofiness in here that we can't nitpick scenes because I think we've explained this whole movie has goofiness and bonkers and it makes no sense. And, and I mean, I'm shocked that there's some scenes that don't have more explosions in them, like outside of the attack scene. But it's just insane. I mean, you know that when Ben Affleck and Kate Beckinsale are on, like, the, uh, on their date and uh, Ben Affleck, like takes her to the what the the queen mary and they're going up that weird like you know pulley system little stand and it breaks and they rush back down to the water i totally expected like that little wooden thing to just blow up because it's a michael bay movie it's crazy it's crazy zach i don't know what you've done to us i legitimately do not know what you have done to us i don't know pearl harbor's done to me (laughs) oh god so anything else you had about pearl harbor i mean i think we we did it i'm just happy it's over it's fair there. I'm glad we finally had this under our belt. Yes, yes, 100%, 100%. So I guess with that out of the way, that brings us then to our questions. And uh, I guess um, we, we can start with Cinemodities. Uh, this is, I think, for all the reasons we described, the nobody said no. It comes across so bonkers and so ridiculous. Uh, I think I'm going to say yes to a Cinemodity. And I think also we got a, an interesting idea early in this conversation that this has never really happened Again, we've said something along those lines, like this this uh, emotional story tied with human tragedy that, you know, is just so off the rails and so seemingly possibly misguided um, that, yeah, this is just a ridiculous movie. For Late Night, though, my answer is, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Please. I will never watch this again. I don't want anybody else to watch it again. Please let it just sit in our repertoire, collect us. We can reference it as we need to. So I'm going yes and no. What do you think, Zach? Oh, God. Late night movie, no. Way too long. You fall asleep. Um, (laughs) As an oddity? What about late night installment series? (laughs) Oh, God. They should do this what they did in Justice League. Chapter one. 
romance. <laughs> no, prologue. <laughs> William Fickner hits a child. Chapter one, <laughs> romance. <laughs> prologue. Is Ben Affleck retarded? <laughs> I don't do words good. Only numbers. <laughs> you might as well say that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I God. I don't I know do letters only airplane. <laughs> and he does and he like and he like has his hands on like a, like a steering wheel or something. <laughs> or runs around the room with his arms out like a little kid pretending to be an airplane. I like and Kate Beckinsale's. Oh, I want to fuck this dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I think steering wheel is better because there's no steering wheel yeah. in a plane. It's yeah, a exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> vroom, vroom. And he's like making car noises. And, he, and Kate Beckinsale's like, I'm pretty sure he said plane. And we are doing this medical procedure for all the air pilots. Passed. <laughs> <laughs> Cuts back to her telling the story on the train. All the all the other nurses are like, oh, so dreamy, and like I wish I had an idiot for a boyfriend. <laughs> Delightful. Oh god, that's wonderful. Okay, I so, so late night. You said no. Cinemodities. What do you got? Cinemodity. Like I don't know. Like it's so kind of just dumb and boilerplate, but it's also like embarrassing to a degree. But like Hollywood yeah. embarrasses itself like every chance it gets. <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm just so conflicted. It's like it's embarrassing. Like it's just, like it's embarrassing to a level I, it's like almost unheard of. Yes. But what do you expect from the people involved? I I know that's kind of but that reason that you that what you just said is both why I think it tipped it tipped me over to the yes column. But at the same time, you have that that thought in the back of your head where it's like what else could this have been you know there's no version there's no universe i think or alternate dimension where michael bay makes pearl harbor and it is not this movie fair fair enough <laughs> but the thing though, does that make it more special or like less special i don't know i i'm kind of leaning towards the more special uh but it's a tough one i was because while i was watching this for a long time i was i was leaning towards no for the cinemodity but it just i feel like it's just so much craziness and bonkers and everything that i just had it tilted me over to the yes i think can i be indeterminate on this i mean yes technically yes <laughs> i mean i can't like there's literally we are not in the same room i literally cannot force you to answer this question <laughs> i don't know like it's just like like the movie is looked down upon upon everybody yes like the people that's based on find it like abhorrent and disgusting Everything is awful about it. Like, how can anyone make a film about a national tragedy and screw it up this bad? <laughs> I like, I like that that phrase. <laughs> that should I be guess. on the on the DVD. <laughs> I, okay, my rating for this for Cinemati is, I guess. Okay, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. And we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have snacks. I guess I should say I don't have too many snacks for this one. I have one. a snack. I want a snack. I got my snack. It might overlap with the one snack Coke I bottle have. of blood. Yes. Coke bottle of blood. Yes, 100%. My note is literally just Coca-Cola bottles filled with blood. I don't even say how <laughs> yeah. we sell them or how people can order them. I just wrote Coca-Cola bottles filled with blood. <laughs> okay. And you know how we have our cinematis like hotel, like part of our whole like campus. Yes. yes. All right. There should be like like, like a like a love sex room for like couples, and it's like parachutes. Mm, 
Mm, okay, okay. I can get behind that. Yes. And then I mean I mean we will need, I think technically for like safety reasons, we will need parachutes in the restaurant because we have like helicopters and stuff in there. Yeah. But we don't put them on anybody getting in the helicopters or the planes. We put them in this sex room that we're talking yes. about. Yes. <laughs> the sex room. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? Do you think you know like like actual hotel? Well, no, I shouldn't say that because our hotel is an actual hotel. Um, but you know how they have like the honeymoon suite and stuff like yes, that. We yes. call ours just like blatantly the sex suite. Maybe there's different. There's no, the sex suite, suite, the fuck not, suite. Not su- <laughs> no, not suite. That's too classy. Fuck room. <laughs> fuck room. <laughs> what? Are, okay, okay. Other than suite, what else? I like room. room. That's good. Room. Maybe it's maybe room. like chamber. So you could have like the fuck chamber or something. No, no. I, like, I don't know. I like fuck the fuck. Well, there'd be different ones. We'd have both. You know, I'm not saying we replace one, but like, what's, I like what's chamber. The what's the difference? Is one which one's better? Which one's worse? Um, I, maybe they're both just the same, but it's like a marketing <laughs> thing, you know, where it's like we well, do, do like a two hundred dollar night upcharge for the fuck chamber. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. That is exactly what I'm going for. Okay. Room chamber. Cell, <laughs> uh, uh, quarters. Uh, quarters might be a little fancy. That seems like rustic or something the, like that. The fuck quarters. The fuck quarters. That's annoying to say. That fuck get, ends with get... a hard K, and then quarters starts <laughs> with a hard K sound. I don't like that. <laughs> Somebody shows up who's like a weird sort of person that's into like sexual gratification from money. And they're like, okay, I'm here for the fuck quarters. And we're like, yeah, this is, yeah, like a sock filled with rolls of quarters. And we're like, we're like, okay. Oh, man. Are you going to pay with those? And they're like, no. And they pull out like a wad of hundreds. And we're like, I guess. <laughs> Fuck quarters. Oh, okay. You're selling me on fuck quarters, even though I don't like it. that. That that by definition or by construction does not roll off the tongue, unless you say like fuck quarters, you know, or something like that. Oh my god. Okay, perfect. Fuck I room. like that. I like that. Yes. So okay, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that is actually a good uh, segue into the other things I was thinking because my other my other snacks. Of course, when we say snacks, we know we are not talking about succinctly food or anything like that. But I had. Some some expansions to the the restaurant because we've been doing this a lot recently like i know we've added the uh the the airport recently mm-hmm. for whatever fucking discussion that was i <laughs> i know a long time ago we have something that's like there's somewhere in the spreadsheet that says like you have to take a ferry to get to the restaurant yes. which yes. does not make any sense <laughs> in conjunction to other things we said about the restaurant <laughs> But, void. but what about since we already have this ferry, we have some type of I, I, I might go as far to say a harbor in the restaurant. <gasps> the Cinemodities oh. Harbor. <laughs> Whoa. I have to ask though, is it a shallow harbor? Maybe we set it up so it's like like a like a, a like a public pool or a personal pool that there's a, a shallow end and a deep end type of thing. Okay, sure. And so, you know, we could get both of those in there. Could one launch a torpedo attack on said harbor? A hundred percent. Okay, good. A hundred percent. We okay, will good. have a a Cinemodities movie or a sketch in a Tales from the Cinemodities restaurant movie that involves people – hijacking planes from our own airport to bomb our own harbor. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's like, who's attacking us? We are. 
Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but Delightful. so, so the, I like the, the adding the Cinemaris Harbor, of course. But the other thing I was thinking, which which is one we're going to have to discuss because we I don't think we have anything like this or ever talked about it. Do we have some type of infirmary in our restaurant? We had to have hospital at some point. Control F the spreadsheet. That's a good that's there. a good point. I was thinking okay, okay, let's see. But but to to expand on this, whether or not we do have it, which I will find in a second as we're talking about this, if we do include an infirmary, do we put restrictions on who can use it? Specifically, do we make a cinemodities infirmary that's just for you and I? <laughs> what? what? Like, like we don't let we don't let employees use it. Like, we don't let like, 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 like a like, like a like an executive suite bathroom almost. An yes, executive suite yes. Infirmary. And it's, it's only if we get injured that we can have on-site medical attention. Everybody else can go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> That sure, was they get they, they get a little first aid like cabinet like in the bathroom. Okay, okay, here I'm uh, okay. For I control F for a hospital in the spreadsheet. The first thing that it went to is from our an American Werewolf in London episode. I quote: "For Robin Zach only, a sexy angry nurse feeds us hospital food." <laughs> okay, that is I like how it. it mentions that is the us. only instance of hospital. I don't know what other. I can't have typed infirmary in here. I, yeah, I can't imagine you doing that. Well, I could see you doing that. That is not in there. That is not in there. Um, maybe like medical? Oh, oh, okay. Medical's found something. Yeah, it's in the Starship Troopers episode. Oh, God, we had a fuckload of snacks. Okay. <laughs> we Okay, in Starship Troopers, it says, We don't have a first aid station. We just use high-proof alcohol for medical emergencies. <laughs> that might answer it. That might answer it. We don't have an infirmary because we've already established we only use high proof alcohol for medical <laughs> emergencies. All right, okay. Rob, you've, you've you fit the piece into the puzzle. You okay, and that it. is also only the only instance of medical in this spreadsheet. <laughs> a severely overlooked area of our infinite void. Yes, yes. So I'm glad that we talked about it, and we can't have it because we have already established how these things are done in the restaurant. Perfect. Perfect. I dig it. Okay, good. So, those are the only snacks I had as Coca-Cola bottle fill blood being the snack, I guess. And then these additions to the restaurant. Is there any food in this restaurant? Uh, in, the restaurant. in this restaurant? In this movie? No, very little, Zach. <laughs> as it turns out, very little. <laughs> no, food, food in this movie, I mean, what we get a few like scenes, like they're at the diner. I don't think they're eating. When Josh Hartnett and Kate Beckinsale are at the diner, I don't think we see them eating anything. There's that, like, the party before they all get shipped out where, like, swing music is yeah. playing. I'm sure that there's some, like, drinks there's champagne, and stuff right? there. Yeah, there's yeah. There's champagne. He's himself in the nose of the champagne. Yes, that's right. That's right. Other than that, I mean, I don't think we see— How about Cinemati's inoculations for our workers? Mmm, that's with interesting. Big, like, with big comically sized needles. In the butt. I like. I, oh my. Oh my God! I forgot about that stuff. Where the nurses are like actively giving injections too deep to hurt the the men. At least that's what I gathered from that scene. Because the men are horny. Yes. Yes. Okay. I could. I could get behind that. Oh, I controlled F shots in the spreadsheet, and it's giving me the times I put gunshots. That's not. That's not fun. <laughs> I mean, it is fun. It's just not fun for this conversation. It's not applicable. Maybe we do need. Maybe we do need that. I mean, 
do we have, are there any like diseases that are being uncovered in the infinite void that we would need to inoculate against? Do we know? Probably. probably. Yeah, exactly. That's the correct. John Ratzenberger has not informed us yet, but probably. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I can get behind that. I can get behind that for sure. This is a film that's severely lacking food. Yes. Yes. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm barely remembering. There might be a scene where we see someone eating, but it's not pronounced. And maybe it's something you can't tell what it is. But, yeah, at no point during me watching this movie did I see a food item and I was like, oh, let me write that down type of thing. Yeah. Other than the Coca-Cola the bottles filled with blood. Oh, mm, do they? I don't I think know. Josh Harnett is. Somebody's eating popcorn during, like, the uh, newsreel. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, maybe if it's not one of our main characters, it's an extra or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But the Coca-Cola bottles filled with blood. I'm glad that we both saw that and instantly went, food! <laughs> <laughs> I like to imagine. I, I want to walk around with like I don't know, like oh god, what's like, like tomato juice in a Coca Cola bottle, and people being like drinking Coke. I'm like, no blood. I dig it. Hundred percent. It's kind of like how I that one time I told Rob I want to bring like put fruit gushers in a Tide Pods container and oh, just walk yes. around eating it. Yes, that's right. That's right. Or putting blue Gatorade in a Windex bottle. <laughs> that's a good. I forgot about that one. That's a good. There's one. a bunch of ones I have ideas for. That I just always wanted to. the Tide Pods. The only thing that stopped me from the Tide Pods things like I really don't want to spend thirty dollars just on a bucket. Like, just like, I'm like that's a. I'm like that's a lot of money for a gag. Yeah, that's a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. I, I, I didn't go deep into the historical accuracy stuff because once I realized how, you know, how much there was, I, I would be interested to see if that was an actual thing. Maybe not at like Pearl Harbor, but at any, you know, like old, not old, but you know what I mean? Like a wartime tragedy where they needed some storage for blood and they ran out of bags that they were using something like a commercial product container. I would, I'm sure that had to happen somewhere, but there is no way that that is like good, you know? And it's not like, st- it's the furthest thing from sterile. Yeah, exactly. And like and there's no way to sterilize it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like given like like given in limited time. Yeah. So that I mean that's a, that's a question I have for this movie is like what is the point of putting blood in a Coca-Cola bottle if not to drink it? <laughs> there you go. You figured it out, Rob. Oh, you know what? Speaking of question, I should have brought this up earlier. Is there any explanation as to how after Ben Affleck gets shot down in Europe and finds his way and and is presumed dead, presumed dead by the Air Force, how the hell does he end up back at Pearl Harbor? What do you mean? Okay, so so is the movie implying that he gets shot down, the government thinks he's dead, he is not dead, and the government goes, good for you, you're on a new assignment that just happens to be where... Like what? Like I don't think. Okay, I, I for for the record, I don't think it's disclosed in the film. But okay. what I think happens because okay. even as I was rewatching this, I always I always wondered about that. What happens is he gets like he's found on debris by a French fishing boat. Yes, he gets brought to Nazi occupied France. Yes, he says that. Yep, and then I think he eventually escapes. We were never told how, but this is my inference. He escapes. He gets, I would imagine, to England, mm-hmm. and then he sends a what? He probably has to then make his way via boat or plane. Yes, it has to be boat. It has to be boat. They didn't have transatlantic. I don't. Did they have transatlantic flights then by 1941? In no. Michael Bay's movie, you goddamn bet they did. A Boeing 747 <laughs> took him across the, across the pond, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he goes because then we because we see Josh Hartnett reading the Western Union letter. Yes, yes. 
So what I think happens is that he probably sends the Western Union letter probably in New York, takes a plane or something across the U.S., and then takes a ship across from California to Hawaii. Because he knows that she's going to be – he knows Danny and her are going to be in Pearl Harbor. Yes. So – so are you? So you're saying he gets there without being stationed there by the Air Force? I I would imagine he probably sat there, let the Royal Air Force know, probably because he was what presumed KIA. Yes. And considering we're dealing with tangible, like physical records, by the thing, by, like I would imagine he probably got almost immediately discharged. He probably like if he was a P, not I don't even know what you would call it. He wasn't a POW. Um, what, would, what would that even be called as? Like captured behind enemy lines? I have no um, idea. <laughs> I think it's just like he probably could do – I can't remember. His main goal was to get back to her. Yes. So he probably let the RAF know, but it probably began and ended there and figured he probably could tell somebody in Pearl Harbor he ended up there just simply because he figured it was safe. He was – I think his main goal was just to get back to her. Yeah, oh, absolutely. My question is, like, because the way the movie plays it, because, of course, once he gets back there, there's some nonsense that happens on the emotional side. But then he's able to get in a plane, he's able to fight during Pearl Harbor, and then he's able to get promoted. So he's clearly still in the Air Force. I don't think he – I think that's the thing, though, is that, like, A, it's a movie. We have to give them some sure, – le- even, sure. uh, even for a Michael Bay movie, we have to give them <laughs> yes. some level of suspension of disbelief. Yes. Um, but I think that's probably what it was. He probably was listed as that, but probably the moment he was alive, like, Doolittle found out that he was alive probably had him immediately reinstated. Okay. That I, – I would buy into that. But I definitely got this I, – I totally do buy into that. I definitely got the sense though while I was watching this movie that there was some off-screen thing where like he, he was presumed dead. He makes his way through the you know, occupied France like we said. He gets back to the Air Force. The Air Force is like, oh shit, you're still alive. How about you have to still be in the Air Force but we give you choice of where you want to be stationed and he picked Pearl Harbor. I don't think I don't think it's that. I okay. think he That's what I got when back. I watched this movie but I, I understand what you're saying that that would be fucking ridiculous ridiculous <laughs> i think it's just a whole idea is like he probably said i'm back i need to get there like and they're probably like, okay as so we sort this all out just go ahead just along the way try to sit there and like clean up this mess i would this as we say this it screams to me though that there would have if michael bay gave any thought because to be honest i do think if we asked michael bay this question his answer would legitimately be shut the fuck up <laughs> uh, but but i honestly think that if if michael bay was thinking about this which i don't think he is in this script or this movie that we would have had a scene of like you know uh Ben Affleck back at traveling talking to some traveling, traveling right? and talking to some higher up in the Air Force or the military and and them being like, son, you got shot down. You thought you were dead. You did a good job. Here's your honorable discharge. And Ben Affleck going, no, sir, I want to fight. I want to get back in the fray. I want to go to Pearl Harbor to fuck my lady. Like, I totally <laughs> think Michael Bay would put that scene in if he get, if he thought about that moment in the script in any way, shape or form, which I don't think he did. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, like I said, I have no idea. Sure, it I just, would rather it totally see that than some of the other nonsense. Yes, I, I agree. But there were certain points in the movie where it totally, I was like confused. I was like, how did he get back here? Do people still think he's dead? Like, is he like you know going to start a new life or something? Did he was he stationed back here? And like we said, the official answer from Michael Bay is shut the fuck up. <laughs> 
What movie? What movie was that where he said that when someone asked him a question? It was Armageddon. I think it was too. The legend has it that it was too Ben Affleck because the question is why are we training oil drillers to run spaceships when we could more easily train uh, astronauts to drill? And Michael Bay said, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> I think that's on the Armageddon commentary. I've heard that that's where that comes from. That story, uh, but it's a wonderful story. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed it is. Okay, that was my – okay, now I think that's my last Pearl Harbor point. Uh, okay. Did you have any other snacks? I think we finished our snacks, right? Yeah, I don't have any other okay, snacks. Okay, okay. Well, then I think uh, – uh, what do we want to say? Uh, you know, continue to send the Cinemodities uh, family – uh, hate about the fact that Rob has uh, derided Shrek last week. Uh, Cinemodies at gmail.com. Come over and check out the newly rebranded Patreon, Cinemodities Plus. Check out what you can get access to bonus content on there. That's great. Other than that, I guess, what are we, what the, what are we doing next week? Tomb Raider? Is that next Tomb week? Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. Uh, the 2018 one. It's going to be the only non-2001 Alicia, movie. Alicia Vikander. <laughs> yes. Now we'll be discussing Tomb Raider. We'll finally get to Angelina Jolie. That's going to be fun. And I guess finally Daniel Craig, too. He's in that, right? I think he's in that. Indeed. Um, he's a guy. He plays a guy in that movie. Sure. That'll be – he plays a guy in that movie. He plays Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> <laughs> But I say, be... I say, I say. Yes, yes. And I guess that takes us to how do we end this episode, which I'm sure we're in agreement with. It has to be the Faith Hill song in reverse, right? Oh, yes. The song is oh, called There You'll Be, and it is it is officially – it is the official romantic ballad recorded for this movie. And I guess just because we're on this to- – while we're on this topic, here's another way this film tried to emulate Titanic. And from what I read, Zach – they offered this song to Celine Dion. Of course they did. Well, yeah, I mean, of course. But once again, Michael Bay was just like, I can do it. I can do it, you know? <laughs> God, it should be worth noting this funny that, like, Celine Dion – not Celine Dion. Faith Hill also did, like, the song for The Grinch, like, six months earlier. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay, okay. What have what a time we to be alive. become? What have what we a time, become? What a time to be alive. <laughs> We're on Earth Plus. <laughs> Humanity <laughs> Plus. <laughs> that, I think it's Humanity Minus on that one, Rob. Yo, <laughs> humanity Minus. <laughs> I think we should start different streaming services. We have the like Cinemodities Plus, Cinemodities Minus, Cinemodities Multiply, Cinemodities Divide. <laughs> The unfortunate thing is that so many people would not understand that these days because who teaches arithmetic anymore? Everybody everybody in the modern era, the same kids we were talking about that think 9-11 was a meme and never happened are the <laughs> same ones that act like Ben Affleck in this movie in real life. I know do education well. <laughs> vroom, vroom. <laughs> okay, that's good. We got some disenfranchised in the audience right at the end of this episode. I'm happy with that. <laughs> Perfect.
I know. 